0: So welcome everyone to another exciting episode
1: of the Magic Sandwich Show, where it is a huge pleasure as ever to welcome the usuals, Concordance and Thunderfoot. But also for the first time in many months, uh, Mr. Aronra. I'm sorry, it's been so long I've forgotten how to pronounce his name, Mr. Ra. but also as our special guest, which we found out only about two minutes before the show started, huge pleasure to welcome Mrs. Ra. Welcome to the show, both of you. You can unmute your microphone now.
2: You're allowed. You're allowed to unmute your mic, but not allowed not allowed to say anything.
1: Yeah, got it. Um, all right, I'm going to start with you. Um, I know the explanation why you haven't been able to appear on the show for the last couple of months. I, I think, um, but the audience may not. Uh, tell us what you've been up to. Uh,
3: there have been a lot of uh, a lot of conferences, conventions, and rallies uh going on in the last few months i was at the uh i was at a political rally in tallahassee florida i i, I attended skepticon i was um I, I i was speaking at a couple of other things it was austin and uh and i'm I'm kind of losing track of them all now because they could kind of bleed together after a bit but there have been a lot of uh out of town trips that i've been having to do and it's been great fun the season, however, is over for me. Skepticon was the last thing that I'm, that, that I'm attending until roundabout February when it picks up again. And normally that would pick up with uh, the Darwin Day celebration that I've done. I've done the keynote speech for Darwin Day in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the guest of the James Randi Educational Foundation three years in a row, but not this year. This year they decided to change things up. They got some scruffy bearded cephalopod lover to take my gig.
1: Would we know that person?
3: I think you would. <laughs>
1: You're not going to name names.
3: <laughs> no, I'm going to leave it there. Um,
1: uh, what, what instead, what on that things, weekend, what, what sort oh. of things have you found on your travels? Then, what sort of things you've been speaking on? Who have you been meeting, and um, what's what's it like to have the finger on the pulse? What is the pulse saying?
3: Well, the interesting thing was that, it's, of course, it was an election year, and, and the last couple of speeches that I did, dealt directly with that. And while I, I really don't like to, uh, to politicize, I felt completely encouraged in that everything that, I was, everything that I believe in, that what we should be trying to, uh, to achieve was seemingly under threat. And so I, I had to do what I could to speak out. And it was an honor to have the opportunity to do so you know, standing on the steps of the state capitol or, or or on a stage at a rally where they're holding, you know, a, a vote for separation of church and state and that sort of thing. It's been great to be involved in that sort of thing. Uh however, for the next couple of months I'm going to be really trying to catch up to the other projects that I was supposed to be working on here at home, like like a book I've been working on when I have moments to work on it for the
1: last few months. I'm trying now, to invest some time in that. Mrs. Wright, before I come to you, uh, just to remind people that if you would like to appear on the show to talk about any of the issues that we're likely to end up talking about, which I'll come to in a second, or any other of your own, uh, just send a Skype contact request to Magic Sandwich Show, uh, including in that, please, the gist of the question or topic that you would like to raise, and we'll see if we can get you on. Um, But Mrs. Wright, let me turn to you. What is it like uh, being married to an international public speaker of such renown as Aron Ra?
4: <laughs> have, have you been following him on
1: his travels? Has he taken you with him, or has he left you at home?
5: Um, he takes me sometimes. I didn't get to go to Australia or or, or Ireland
3: or Tallahassee, but you know, I bring her when I can. Uh, it was fun when we went down to Austin because, uh, I mean. I got to uh, to play limousine for a bit, you know, stuffing my car full of famous dignitaries. It was quite fun.
1: So, of all the people you've met, I imagine there are quite a few. Who've, who've have there been any that you've met for the first time that have uh, tickled you?
3: Um, I met Zinnia Jones in uh, in Tallahassee, Florida. it Was the first time I'd seen um, her speak and that, that was interesting, meeting, because, uh, I don't know, it, it's one of the few people left in this movement that I've only seen in video and hadn't actually encountered in real life.
1: Okay, we'll probably come back to more of that um, presently, but uh, Thunder, I think you've been traveling around as well and posted a couple of videos, but it's not been entirely clear what you've been up to. Perhaps you'd like to explain that as well. Yeah, well,
2: I uh, sort of misjudged things a little. Um, so we had um, some uh, beam time awarded at a neutron reactor. Um, in fact, we had almost two weeks uh, awarded, which is an absolutely phenomenal amount of, of beam time. So for the last um, two weeks, I've been within about 10 meters of the the core of a nuclear reactor. Um and it was brutal. So in the end, um, I managed to get 107 samples done, which won't mean much to anyone here, but if you work it out, 107 samples over two weeks is about one sample every three hours. Um, and that's about the schedule that they were ticking over on. So um, I had hoped to actually get some more videos done while I was at the reactor because um, they've got some really nice facilities there, but it just wasn't the time um but the ipod did go into the into the neutron beam um, are you going to,
1: are you gonna tell us what happened or are you gonna save that for a
2: minute? no no i i will be a, i'll be a science tease on this one but um i i can tell you it's sort of a, a lot of um it it did come out fairly active um and Oh yeah that's the other thing I wanted to broadcast it live and it was this a real irony is the only thing that I couldn't get to handshake in this in this whole line was I couldn't get uh, uh whatever the the Google hangouts to broadcast direct to my YouTube channel so they uh, YouTube have been sending me these um you yeah, know banner messages you know uh, I do a Google Hangout and it goes straight to your channel and I try this and it says you can't do this because you've got strikes against your channel and of course there are no strikes against my channel but um, and they they couldn't sort anything out in time. Otherwise I could have broadcast it straight from the reactor to the YouTube channel which I think would have been rather cool but it couldn't be done so I in the end just stuck the the iPod into the neutron beam, so you get to see what the inside of a neutron beam looks like. It's kind of funky. So. Well,
1: we'll certainly look forward to that. Um, any indication when that's going to be out? Uh like I said, I mean, I've,
2: I've not been back that long, so. Okay. Um, can, one can I ask the weeks. question
4: that everyone everyone wants to know? Is did you oh. did you smuggle any spiders in for radiating? Because, uh, no, uh, but like, I put mean, my it, order in
2: now. It's absolutely hilarious when you look at all these superheroes. You're right. (laughs) Spider-Man gets bitten by a radioactive spider. The Incredible Hulk gets a gamma ray overdose. Dr. Manhattan gets locked into um, some sort of uh, quantum facility when the interlocks malfunction, which is exactly the sort of thing the interlocks are meant to prevent. Uh, And, yeah, they all come out with superpowers rather than dying of leukemia.
1: Do you think this was a PR job? Because a lot of those uh, things began um, at the infancy of the nuclear age and people were obviously somewhat terrified about it. Do you think that this was a deliberate PR plan to show that nuclear radiation could actually be beneficial?
2: Now, I mean, what, what it is, is, I mean, you're sort of right that this was... Um, in the, the the very infancy of nuclear power just like frankenstein was in the very infancy of electricity and no one really knew what it was or what it did and so electricity brought frankenstein to life or frankenstein's monster more to the point to life um and Um, With radiation, no one really knew anything about it, so it was just a woo that you could say someone got exposed to and all of a sudden they come out with special powers. But now that I think about it, Fantastic Four, they also got irradiated by a solar storm or something. And, of course, what else would happen if you got irradiated by vast amounts of cosmic radiation than becoming elastic, invisible um incredibly strong and made of rock or being able to turn yourself on fire
0: it, it's worth you know, knowing it
3: curious don't you think it curious that in the fantastic four for example i mean wouldn't it have been better if if there were like six or eight people on the original ship and that you get these four out of these with these superpowers but the other four on the ship died horrific painful exhausting deaths
2: um, like, like somebody that their
3: special power is that they dissolve uh, permanently or somebody else just, just w- winds
0: <laughs> the, 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 up with
3: the, the syndrome where they burn inside and out until they're dead. Was,
2: there was a Family Guy episode very much like this actually where it was um, some toxic waste or something that gave them all special powers and Mega gets the special powers of being able to grow her fingernails really quickly. And that's it. <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs> really. It's okay. worth noting DPR. Before that, uh, we move on, can I can Superman? I wait.
1: Sorry. No, um, Superman
4: came Newton, out in
1: 1938. Mutants, Ninja Turtles. What? They got some sort of radiation, didn't they?
3: No, that was toxic waste again.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Um,
3: radiation, radiation oh. was better because it was uh, it was able to create everything from from you know Godzilla to Superman's weakness. I mean, it, you could do anything you needed it to do.
2: Oh, uh, that's, then that's then nothing. Let, let let me add two extra points on that. The first one is Godzilla could actually breathe radioactive fire, which which would be a a, a bit of an environmental disaster. And the second <laughs> one, the second one is the Batmobile was nuclear powered. Now, can you imagine driving a nuclear powered car around a city? But uh, some guy in the comments, uh, Prophet Muhammad, got this really funny comment about, uh, you know, yeah, what's your
1: superpower? Oh, what's this? Flavon. Ah! Burns to death. <laughs> Concordance, back to you, because I interrupted you. You were saying something no, about
4: Superman. No, I just Superman. wanted to say that uh, Superman first came out in 1938, so pre-nuclear age. Uh, and, and also, I was kind yes, of joking. there was about radioactivity, the Teenage there, though, wasn't that? And
1: his power was related in some way to Kryptonite and its radioactive powers, so... Yeah. That's, but uh, but at the, at the time,
4: harvesting or, or, or harnessing nuclear power was, was beyond the pale. It wasn't even thought of at the time. Or, I don't know, maybe Asimov was, was talking about stuff like that. Um, well, you got to remember, they- at
3: the time that Superman came out, radiation was only known to do one thing, and that was diminish people's strength and kill them. That's all they knew about it.
1: I fear before the audience thinks that we've all lost the plot <laughs> and they told nature and tone of the show has changed with the return of Aaron. Um, Let's bring it back to something more topical. Um, You mentioned, Aaron, that it was an election year. Uh, I think that probably, I'm guessing that most of the audience know the result. Um, As a result (coughs) of the election, I understand that various petitions have been started in various states, including Texas, um, for the idea that you should uh, succeed from the um, United States, and my understanding is that 116,000, at its last count, of uh, Texans had signed this pe- petition, which initially sounded like quite a lot to me. But then I looked at the population of Texas, and I worked it out. It's about 0.004%, so four in every thousand people have actually signed, signed this. Is and, and I, I raised this because, of course. Um, concordances in Texas as well. Is this a serious movement? Are people taking this idea seriously?
2: What it Actually, literally uh, is. Uh, you've missed uh, you've missed an important
1: piece of information. What was the petition about?
3: The petition was to secede from the union to make Texas its own country again. Yeah, yeah, and it's, as DPR pointed out, it's not just Texas that did it. It's several other states that had. This extreme faction within them, this tiny little minority of extremely immature people, who want to th- throw their toys out of the pram, as you Europeans say, and as we as we know from dealing with with religious people, that is a very a very childlike mindset in many respects, and when they don't get their way, they throw a temper, uh, throw a temper tantrum, and that's exactly what this is. It's throwing the toys out of the pram, it's, you know, it's just packing up and saying, well, I'm getting out of here, whatever, and Absolutely. they can't move, so they're just going to take the whole state with them.
2: Actually, Aaron, what you want is to actually start a movement in the rest of the country to have Texas thrown out of the United States. <laughs>
3: Yes, dig a trench around it so that we can call it its own
1: continent. <laughs> My understanding, though, is so far as the Constitution is concerned, is that Texas maintained that right.
5: dooming us.
4: Yeah, that's a popular myth.
1: Is it?
4: Yeah, so that there's a whole group of people that for the last hundred years, I got sort of mixed up with them in college, the Republic of Texas people who print their own money and issue their own real estate deeds and... Uh, produce all sorts of official documents they claim that if any small group gets together forms a congress and they you know file papers at a certain office that they can secede uh, unilaterally basically from the union and of course that is not the case uh, they also claim that the secession of that the I'm sorry the uh, st- uh, state status of Texas was never ratified which is also another sort of myth that they try try to perpetuate to prop up this Republic of Texas group and they've all gone to jail. I mean they've all been raided, or, uh thrown in jail or abandoned the idea. Well you remember when Kent Hovind was
3: was uh, on trial for his tax evasion in in uh, Florida? He said that the United States had no jurisdiction in the Republic of Florida. That's how, that's how convinced, that's how you these people are in the imaginary world that they have created for themselves.
4: You know, I, I did a video on on my libertarian phase in college, and people asked, you know, why why I'm not a libertarian anymore. The Republic of Texas is a big part of why I'm not a libertarian anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they are the nuts in our uh, fruitcake. Uh, <laughs> But they're, they're riddled, they still do somewhat, the Libertarian Party in Texas um, with these kinds of claims that, you know, anybody uh, has an equal right to issue lands and patents and uh, real estate documents and these kinds of things.
2: Well, patents is inherently anti-libertarian, yeah? And uh, one of the things that really splits libertarians is that... Um, some think that you should be able to uh, yeah yeah, because to to have a patent, you need a government to run it for you
3: yeah, I'm, I'm noticing some comments in the in the chat room where the people are you know somebody announced that they were libertarian, we do a lot of talk about libertarian, so real quick, I would just want to interject uh if if people want to know why we're not libertarian or why you shouldn't be liter- libertarian, the best advice I could give you would be to read the platform and then just think it through. And that should be enough. Go ahead, Thunder.
2: Uh, no, I mean, all I, all I wanted to do, do is finish up on that point. I, I think the reason that they're opposed to it is that you need a government to uh, enforce the patents, and that goes straight back to if you don't pay your taxes, then when men with guns turn up to take away your freedom.
4: Actually, uh, libertarians tend to be pretty okay with uh, litigation, and litigation. Um, to them is more acceptable than legislation. So you can sue someone uh, for violating your patents. Of course, if they don't comply with the courts, then you can sue them again for not complying with the courts, and then you can sue them again for not complying with the compliance of the compliance. (laughs) Eventually, the men with the guns do have to get called out, right? I mean, eventually you have to put a man against his will in a box that he doesn't want to be in, or you have to take his property away from him by force. That's the ultimate chain. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't sue someone into doing something that they refuse to recognize. Yeah, well,
3: if we're going to talk about poli- if we're going to talk about politics and libertarians for a moment, I want to bring up something. <coughs> the most popular episode of Penn and Teller's bullshit was the one about bottled water. And it, it made a great illustration, but the illustration unfortunately works against them because they were talking about on that show uh, how bottled water companies in the free market were not producing water that, that met the standards of the federal re- regulations imposed by the United States government. So they were saying on that show that many of these bottled water companies weren't as good as what as what regular tap water would be, and in some cases bottled water was just tap water, and they said that the federal regulations that they have to ensure water safety and all like this was such a great thing, and these, you know, free market items weren't such a great thing because they weren't being imposed to the same standards. So they're arguing against their own position. They want to take away regulations for food and for drug and for water, for, for environmental protections and factories and that sort of thing. And then they want to allow corporations, which are the most evil things men have ever constructed, to supposedly be governed by the markets they actually control and historically have, already, have always violated human rights when they've been unchecked. And then they want to allow monopolies, and that's the really scary part, when you have one thing that conglomerates until it owns everything else, and then we are all subservient to Omnicorp, and you've got no recourse if if things don't go your way. And then they want to allow everything that we've ever achieved in the human rights and civil rights movements to just go away and let the corporations rule or let the imaginary free market rule, and it's completely unrealistic. There's just no way that the libertarian perspective can ever exist on the scale that they want it to be,
1: and there was me wondering having forgotten just how much Aaron can talk and why Mrs. Raw is always so quiet i want to uh, uh, before we I, I want to point out obviously that this has got to be one of the few shows there are that you can go from topics such as comic strip heroes to libertarianism in a, a matter of moments uh, but anyway um on the issue of bottled water, just before I come up and bring in the, I have the next topic I want to talk about. Uh, I, I had one the other day, uh, and I was reading the details of it, and it talked about how this rainwater had landed on this range of hills in this country and how it had seeped through the limestone for 5,000 years, being enriched as it was with all these minerals that gave it this wonderful taste and whatever. Uh, and then just underneath it that, <coughs> having talked about these 5,000 years um, water cycle it had gone through, It said, uh, open within three days, drink, consume within three days of opening. Very odd. (laughs) Hey, I want, before we move on too far, I want to talk with Concordance about last week's show, which I know that you won't have watched. We're not present, uh, both of you and uh, Thunderfoot. We had on uh, Rolf and Samuel Lamper. Uh, Rolf Lamper was the um, chairman of the Swedish Creationist Association. And when the videos were posted onto YouTube, they were met with a mixed response. There were quite a few people who didn't enjoy it at all because they thought that we had given them too much time to express their views before we challenged them. Uh, Starting with you, Concordance, what do you make of it? Do you think we were too soft on them? I mean, I I compare it to when we had Cy, Bruden, Kate, and Eric Hovind on, which did get somewhat out of hand. I thought we were civil, but... Quite demanding of, of to get them to explain their views. What do you reckon?
4: I think you, if you watch it, you can see we were increasingly less tolerant of Rolf. We kept trying to get Samuel to to give something. They they weren't giving us a lot to work with. It was it was a bit boring. Quite quite honestly, it was um, a series of almost meaningless statements and redirection and non-answers and after a while you kind of give up you 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 think to yourself i can yell at this guy but it's just going to roll to the left or to the right and he's going to end up answering some question i didn't ask so i didn't feel like going for the jugular if you will i didn't feel like uh, it was worth fighting with the guy let him let him reveal his own ignorance and that's always been my strategy is let let your enemies talk when what they're saying is is stupid and idiotic, or or rather doesn't make any sense. I
1: I think that those that uh, were too critical that we hadn't given them a hard time were those that only watched the first part, not part 1A, which I accidentally missed out on the editing, and part 2, where they were challenged. But, as you say, my intention was give them enough rope to hang themselves with. Once they've done that, then you can start putting the noose around their head. But let them speak initially, because you can't attack someone without knowing what their point is. So I, I thought we were relatively civil, um, and we did challenge them sufficiently in the second, but, but hey, I think it just goes to show um, you can't please everyone. There we are, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, just a quick reminder again, if you want to join the show, send a Skype contract request to Magic Sandwich Show, talk about any of the issues that we've discussed so far and anything else uh, that comes up, or a topic of your own. Uh, there was one person that sent me a message uh, I suspect he's not going to be, uh, be able to appear on the show, but I'll certainly read those questions out if no one wants to call in. And as ever, um, you know, people leave it till the second half of the second half of the show, uh, and normally we have quite a few people at the very end trying to call in. So avoid disappointment and book early. Send a contact request; we'll get you on. Concordance. I want to move on. I know that you've been looking at some topical issues uh, that you wanted to raise.
4: Yeah, I wanted to talk about Pat Robertson real briefly. I I don't know that everyone follows the blogs that I follow or looks at the sites that I look at, but uh, Pat Robertson, (laughs) the host of 700 Club, right? Isn't that Pat Robertson? Uh, Recently came out very strongly against young earth creationism, uh, and it elicited a lot of very angry commentary from people like Ken Ham, uh, because he said, look, you know, the evidence of science is such that we cannot, we can no longer assert that the earth is only six or seven or ten thousand years old. It's just, it's flying in the face of reality. It's harming Christianity in general for us to take a hard line on this. And that's a pretty shocking thing from a man who, by all accounts, is a pretty fundamentalist Christian uh, and has a lot of creationist followers. So I, I can say the NCSE was doing a little happy dance.
3: Yeah, well you gotta remember that Pat Robertson also years ago came out uh in, in, uh, in a, well, I don't know no way to say this is advocating or endorsing, but he's agreeing that uh that climate change, what was called global warming, is a thing that it's actually going on. Uh and he said that years ago, so he's been against his own party on that point too.
1: What I don't we understand though, is for this guy. The, well, sorry, what I don't understand is this though. Um, when he says he accepts the scientific evidence that the Earth is not young, as in six, eight, ten thousand years old, um, it's the same scientific method that provides a similar sort of evidence that shows that evolution is actually a fact. And as far as I'm aware, he still denies the fact of evolution.
3: Pat Robertson is very self-serving. I don't know why he accepts uh, evidence of any kind. It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, what the things that he does, the things that he says, are so far out, out, out of the realm of reality that I mean, like in 1994, he said that homosexuality causes earthquakes and that God was visiting earthquakes against um, uh, billions of dollars worth of damage in. Bel Air and in the San Francisco area from earthquakes because where the damages were not that extensive dollar wise in third world countries that also had earthquakes. And he said that the reason for this was not the fact that every square inch of real estate in San Francisco is more expensive than the entire country of Haiti, but because the United States, as he put it, was the only country that allowed homosexuals to live. And so he said. To his thirty thousand some odd followers, that they should go out and kill homosexuals wherever they find them, and this would prevent earthquakes.
5: Maybe, maybe uh, Pat Robertson uh, is trying to shore up his credibility because because he predicted mit- the the lag's a little um, disconcerting.
3: Uh, <laughs> well, but, let's plug that. Okay. Just talk. Um, turn this volume down on that.
5: Okay. All right. Um because Still he predicted Mitt Romney it. was going to be president. And and he said Just God to told say him it that. here.
3: Technical issues. You're
2: mute? So man. mute blog T V. Okay. You're listening to there Block T V uh, okay. not to the Skype conversation. There you oh, go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well,
5: um maybe he's looking for some credibility. He tried to um he tried to say that God told him that Mitt was going to win the presidential nominee, uh, presidential election.
3: What does he care about credibility? When I was in That's high school, what schools, I was thinking. When I was in high school, this man said that the the planetary alignment was going to be such. You know, he had all the planets in one line, and that the the gravitational pull of Jupiter and Saturn and the giant Jovian planets was going to be so extreme on the Earth on one side, with the sun on the other, that it was going to rip the Earth in half in 1982.
2: Yeah, and you don't remember that happening?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I must have been away that weekend. <laughs> He's funny. Though. But I mean, it's embarrassment though, it, that fact. he
1: was actually a presidential candidate.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: What, Captain? And Magic I was
3: at was. the Iowa caucuses when he was a presidential candidate, and it was so. A sorry, can you say I that again, president.
1: Aaron? He was what? When
3: he was a presidential candidate, I was at the Iowa caucuses, raising the stink over him.
1: What platform was he standing on, apart from extreme right-wing Christianity?
3: No, that was it. That was it. He wanted God. He, he, had, he had proclaimed that you know, the, the goal and, and sole purpose of the Christian right was to, dominionism, that they were supposed to dominate everywhere in the world, and that the, you know, the most powerful country in the world, of course, had to be run by a fundamentalist Christian in order for all of the other nations to fall in line.
1: Just before we move on, I would notice that obviously we're being featured at the moment. If you happen to be watching from the outside, do come join us. You'll be joining the Magic Summon Show with uh, both Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Aaron Ra, uh, concordances but we discuss issues of science and religion. Uh, at the moment, we seem to be talking about a person that I, I'm convinced is dead. I'm sure Pat Robertson has been dead for many years, and he's put in <laughs> ice when he's not on television. They would wondering like he's worked yep. like a, a thunder, not a thunderfoot.
5: I, get
3: the um, yeah. so, I wanted to know for a long time if he was an actual real person because he struck me as being so and, I mean, and mind you, this is going back to when I was a teenager when I first came across him Pat Robertson struck me then as being so bewilderingly stupid that it was not possible that he was actually the leader of the Christian coalition or whatever it was that he's supposed to be in charge of this, this 700 club or anything he had to be a puppet that was put there by people who were still capable of thinking, and they were using him for people to put the crosshairs on when they wanted to have somebody executed because he would be dispensable.
4: He's like when, we kid at Bernie's right, the little dead guy where they lift his arm with the string and. <laughs> yes, that's what Pat Robertson is.
5: When, when he found out that um, that. He was wrong. He admitted he was wrong, and he he said that sometimes he gets the voice of God wrong, and that is the yeah. strangest thing I've ever heard. Yeah,
2: like sometimes I, I God, get the voice of right? sometimes my what, sometimes I get the voice of God wrong as well, and it comes out like,
0: "Hey Pluto, dust to dust." <laughs> That's me getting
1: the voice of God wrong. <laughs> Well, this uh, this is an interesting thing, let, let's, let's, let's see where this takes us because that actually raises an issue, one of my favourite issues about God's ability to communicate. If God was this all-powerful, all-wonderful whatever, he's going to include in that all-powerful stuff and all-brilliant stuff the ability to communicate. Why is it that God is so crap at communicating that he'd ca- he can't get his message acro- across clearly?
5: Even but, if he talks to you one-on-one like you did with Pat Robertson, right? Yeah, you, still, you still can't, maybe he stutters or
1: something, I
3: don't know. Okay, now, and i got to bring this up, and I know you guys have heard it before, going to re- repeat it for some of the others that haven't. I took a, uh, a Russian language class for a year or so, and for, for a very brief period there was this elderly couple from deep south rural Texas, and they were in our class trying to learn Russian because they were called by God to be missionaries. They're going to learn Russian and go make Christians out of them communists. As you might imagine, they were not able to complete the course. Uh, For some reason, these people were incapable of pronouncing words in Russian, no matter how hard we tried to teach them. God called them to do this. This was God's idea. And God is infallible and all wise, but they had to drop out of the class within six weeks because of their own ineptitude. And I want to know how they reconcile that in their minds, that God couldn't come up with a better decision than that.
4: Well... Or that he couldn't make them learn the language.
1: I think that Dark Matter 2525's video on this, uh, God's PR department, uh, is absolutely wonderful. I mean, if, if there really is a God, do you think that he would choose the likes of Nephilim-free, jesus Venom Venomfang-X to be his messengers? Of course! He's got a sense of humor, you know. <laughs> well, it's not, good. it's not enough that you have a
3: preposterous belief that is not supported by evidence. You really have to go that extra step further and make sure that you have plenty of evidence to the contrary.
5: That's what Jesus' excuse was for, for um, choosing him and his, and his fishermen disciples that it must be the voice of God because how else would fishermen and a Galilean be able to, to um, say these things and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, but this is God, right? So this is Jesus. Jesus is God. So Jesus comes to the fig tree and he doesn't know when figs are in season and there's no figs on the tree so he gets mad so he curses the tree. This is God I don't want to get on another tirade.
2: Actually, no, you're right. And um, he curses the fig tree and nothing happens. And then they go off and do something else more interesting for the day. And when they come back, all the disciples notice that the fig tree is dead. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe in the meantime, the <laughs> carpenters came along and chopped it down or something, you know?
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Well, maybe this is a suitable time to move on to Concordance's next point that he wanted to raise. Uh, just before we do, again, it apparently seems that we're being featured, so do come and join us. Um, and also, sure if you'd like to join the month. show, send a Skype contact request to Magic Sandwich Show, and we will see if we can get you on. You do not have to raise any of the topics that we've talked about so far. You can raise your to uh, own topic. But uh, Concordance, I know, wanted to raise another matter.
4: First thunder. First
1: thunder
0: is
2: yeah, I mean, very brief. Um, but Trinity in the Matrix could learn how a helicopter in seconds and presumably she could have learned a language in seconds, but God can't teach his followers in seconds, so. And,
3: know, and, and, well, you know, God needs um, money to do these things, apparently.
0: Lots that, of money. That's a, that's
4: you know, I can't believe we didn't lead off with the most important story of all, guys and that is that the world is ending in less than three weeks. You all we have discuss- less than three weeks to live.
2: We discussed this over over lunch. Um, yeah, um, and it, it's bizarre. The 2012 end of the Mayan calendar thing only seemed to have any purchase like two or three years ago when it was sufficiently distant and now it's right around the corner all of the internet hyper-ballot seems to have dropped off the face of the map. I mean, they, they got a feature movie out of it, for Christ's sake. Something about the Earth's core absorbing neutrinos,
1: which... Uh...
0: OK, well... well I, I have to, to
1: say, you know, one second, Owen, before we go on. Uh, so far as the calendar is concerned, I saw this recently, or I heard it, and I can't remember where I did or um, who it was that said it, so I apologise for plagiarising this joke, but uh, it goes along the lines of, I went out and bought an advent calendar, the other day and apparently the world doesn't end on the 12th or 21st or whatever it actually ends on the 31st 21st. when the advent calendar runs out and that's <laughs> absolutely undisputable proof there's going to be a end of the occurrence. Uh, let, actually, me quote,
2: I
0: that,
1: let me I, quote,
4: let me quote Neil oh. deGrasse Tyson has a the, the, the end all joke on this he says it's hard to take seriously predictions about the end of the world from the Maya a culture that could not predict their own demise exactly what where I was doing <laughs>
3: So. Uh, yeah. And and since uh, Thunder mentioned, you know, that they got a movie out of it for Christ's sake, I just wanted to mention that premiering this Tuesday night in Dallas, Texas and in Las Vegas, Nevada, there is a film for Christ's sake. It's called The Zombie Christ. And I and my son are extras in this film, so this is a movie with something extra, me. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be interviewing the people that made the movie later on today. I'm going to try to do a little promo video for it. And I just to throw biker, that out. right? Uh, yeah, I'm a biker, and and my son is, I think, zombie number 26, but he's also in the credits as blood monkey because his job was to splatter blood on the, on the, the other zombies to get them ready for shoots.
0: It's
1: I have to fun. say again, it's, uh, self-promotion of the show. Look, we've not only got an international renowned public speaker, we've also got a film star. Come <laughs> on, what what other show offers you this sort of thing? How long how long are you are you actually uh, on screen for? Aaron?
3: Oh, I don't know. There's, I mean, there, I would be surprised if there's two or three scenes where you get to even recognize me. Um, there's there, there's one I know they won't cut out. Why do
1: they need makeup for you?
3: Makeup. <laughs> 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 the 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 advert or the the invitation that I got was, do you want to be a zombie or just yourself?
1: That was my <laughs> point. Okay, my tough, <laughs> <call. laughs> tough
3: call.
2: Tough yeah. call.
3: Yeah. And I don't remember what I was going to say now, so I'm going to leave it.
1: concordance. Um, I'm sorry. I thought there was something. Out here. Help me out. Here.
4: A third one, if you want.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were going to quote Tyson in relation to another matter.
4: No, no, he's got, he's got some really funny stuff to say, though. He's, he's got, um, you might have failed Astro 101 on Twitter, uh, where he talks about people and, and their cluelessness about things like planetary alignments and the Solar Max and a series of stuff, but he's hilarious, man. He's, he's having a good time with all these people that are predicting the end of the world
2: but they're getting nowhere near as much interest as they used to. In fact, I'm just going to do a search for it. Um, so what do you reckon? Mayan Cullen. I'm going to see how its uh, its web traffic comes out on the Google Trends, okay?
3: And there's still some discussion of this in the chat room, so I'm just going to mention that Jesus comes back to Earth in the future, in the post-apocalyptic future that was envisioned in the 1980s, so go back to the 80s and then re, you know then rewind and go back up the Mad Max angle, but it's Jesus comes back and he's got rotting flesh and green skin and all of this and Jesus is leading an army of zombies, and there's an army of bikers being led by one of his apostles to try to to try to beat them down. So Jesus is also the villain, the bad guy in this, and as I understand it from the shorts that I've seen, it may be a comedy. Uh, but it may also be the worst zombie picture I've ever seen, and I think that's saying something.
2: Uh, Just so you know, um, I'm actually sort of partially surprised at this. It does look like there is going to be a spike in interest whether the world is really going to end. It's going up and up and up is the interest in 2012, which I can only think, yeah, this is its last gasp. Everyone's just waiting. How does...
1: Are you able to tell, I don't know what you're looking at, are you able to tell how it compares with previous end-of-earth um, predictions? I'm thinking in particular of Harold Camping. Oh, um, yeah, uh, let's try. Big-eared that's a good one. who came out with a couple, two. Well, I mean, didn't, we
3: have, didn't we have three endings of the world just in the last two years?
1: Oh, there's probably more than that. Harold Camping came out with two of oh, his own he goes by himself, uh, Harold okay. Camping dwarfs 2012.
2: He absolutely dwarfs it, um, so 2012 comes in with an average, um, the big, big spikes in 2012 interest go up to about 11, the, 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 yeah, there's only about 10% is the big spikes in 2012 compared to Harold Camping's End of the World, that's 100 So it's about 10 to 1.
1: But if if anyone is seriously interested in this, I would recommend that they Google uh, the Doomsday Book, um, which lists all of the end-of-world predictions, um, of which there are literally hundreds in this century alone, and prior to that, thousands. You know, DPR, I I was going to say
4: one other thing about Tyson. I'm sorry. Uh, And that was, uh, he's recently made a statement about the purposefulness of the universe. I had completely forgotten about that. I was trying to prompt you. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, And all of this, I think, could be couched in the discussion of the Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation pays famous scientists, particularly scientists and philosophers and theologians, to make profound pro-theist uh, statements. So they are a foundation that promotes religious thought among scientists, and they they have these grants that they will give to scientists if they will simply agree to say that yes, God exists. All this evidence of nature points to the existence of a God, and so there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain um, abhorrence of people who are willing to sell out basically uh, in order to get that tantalizing money. And I think that uh, Tyson has sort of flirted with it quite a bit, and he's showing up more and more often on these lists, but at the same time, he then turns around and says things like, you know, there doesn't appear to be any purpose to the universe, and anyone that studies the universe can understand that, that it apparently has absolutely no purpose. So he's not comfortable with atheism because that locks off all the funding opportunities for the... Promotion of science that he could use that money for, but at the same time he's not he's not ready to be bedfellows with the Templeton Foundation.
1: Well, before we take our first caller, I, I want to see if we can um, progress that uh, topic a little bit. Uh, I I struggle to even understand the questions. Does the universe have a purpose? Um, it seems to me to make no sense. Oh, and and what sort of answer are they expecting? And is it not incredibly arrogant of us to assume that there even is such a thing as a purpose? Can we just talk about that for a second?
3: I like to look at the cosmic scale. You know, and when you when you start looking at the recent evidence that's that's or the that the way they describe how they detect dark matter, for example, when they talk about the 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 fabric of the entire universe when you start looking at not just our planet and our, in our solar system, or our solar system in our galaxy, or in our galaxy in this phenomenal web network of other galaxies, we are so far beyond central or important or, or whatever. We, we are beneath consideration on any level when you try to look at the entire cosmos. So you want, you want to imagine that what is essentially a genie that really gives a damn whether you mix nylon and polyester I mean this is the thing that created this huge network of galaxy clusters and it and it it cares about whether you pick up sticks on Sunday it's such a provincial thing how could it possibly it can't be global how could it possibly be uber galactic there's just no way the, the idea of a god defined as a god but by you know, what a what a deity actually is is the simplest most simplistic most childish concept humans have ever come up with to explain anything so i don't understand how you you, know, you pay scientists to say this you know what come come pay me i could use money and i'll just say this stupid thing i'll be just as much of a sellout as when ronnie james dio started singing this buds for you but it's not going to change anything people have to realize this is, this isn't by opinion it's not by a vote it's just not a possibility
1: well, people won't be aware, but concordance is posted into the skype chat that we're involved with it's like fireman said it's out of all proportion to the universe. I agree with that, but I don't think that that necessarily is the answer they're looking for is it I, don't, I, I just don't know i i i don't I can't really understand the question sufficiently i i, can, can, I mean i can
4: answer. i can I, I could even quote, I, I won't I won't read the long sections, but people like Jane Goodall, religious scientist, Jane Goodall studied the chimps, and in her work, she senses that, that the idea of materi- a purely material universe doesn't, doesn't adequately account for the appearance of things which we find so wonderful, you know, the creation of cathedrals, box music, um, the inspirations for beauty and love and justice and all these, these ephemeral concepts, it's very hard to see where they come from. And I have my own theory on this and it has to do with emergent properties. Is yes. You cannot see the behavior of the colony in the actions of the ant and you cannot see in the, the dab of paint, the beauty of the painting. And so those of us who are by nature reductionist in our profession, in our approach to the world, who break the world down into these little chunks so that we can study the real detail. Every once in a while we pull back and look at the big picture and say, Holy heck, I've been working on this amazing thing, at this amazing parts that all come together to produce something that was not there in the smallest component that I was studying. And so I think many scientists either find a spiritual aspect, respect to the thing that they're studying, or they end up as religious scientists being paid by the Templeton Foundation to say found things wow. about God. And I may, those I are really the two paths, either you are sort of inspiration.
1: I may have not expressed myself particularly well. I think there is, this is the issue. There is a difference between the question, what is the purpose of humanity or mankind, Thing on in, in this universe and what is the purpose of the universe as a whole. And when I'm I specifically was referring to what is the purpose of the universe.
0: No, I mean at that point you know, I think that's the question saying. has any saying?
1: any sense.
2: No, the, the the fundamental problem is both of those things are begging the question. You know, what is the purpose of mankind it assumes that there is a purpose to mankind. What is the purpose of the universe it assumes that there is a purpose to the universe. Yeah, until you've actually established that there is one, what's the point of speculating what it is?
5: I would go further than saying that the universe doesn't have a purpose. I would go to say that the universe is quite brutal. Look at Mars. Mars is not large enough to hold an atmosphere. Therefore, whatever life that might have started there never had a chance. It, 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 It either happens for you in the right way or it doesn't there's
1: no but, purpose this is wrong i would it get you um why why could it not be that the purpose of the universe is to be harsh cruel, and brutal
3: because the whole anthropic principle is that the universe was designed with humanity
1: in mind well, right who 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 necessarily adopts the anthropic anthropic principle money I mean, this is this is how <laughs> stupid the question gets why shouldn't it be that the universe is deliberately out there to kill off any kind of life <laughs> <laughs> that is created. Why not? I mean, this, this is my. It's story.
5: hostile. The universe is actually hostile.
3: But that goes against the fine-tuning argument.
5: It's for the most part really hostile.
3: You muted yourself. You can unmute.
4: D P R unmute your mic. L- let me good. play devil's advocate while D P R fixes his mute button. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's say was that was all
1: I have ever made in two and a half years on this program, and I had my mic (laughs) muted.
0: Let's (laughs) let's say that uh,
4: all of that empty space, all of those hostile environments, are there to make place places for different kinds of life. What what if they're all basically part of the requirement for life? What if we have to have all these vast distances so that two species won't evolve on the same adjacent planets or in the same uh, solar system, what if there are scattered throughout the universe, uh, galaxies and stars and planets that, that harbor life, but if they're too close together we get something undesirable? What, what if the universe is fine-tuned? And of course we can't understand it, but what, what if it truly is the only possible configuration of planets and worlds because that could God possibly produce us?
3: God has unlimited ability, and if God can create anything that is infinite in time, he can create it as infinite in space. This planet that we live on did not have to be a planet. It didn't have to be one out of God's zillions of other ones that are bigger and better. This planet could have been a single straight plane, a map. It's infinite in every direction. It could have been a flat plane continuing forever. If, if God wanted to do it that way, God could have done that way. And if God was had you know, had these unlimited abilities and made us some special creations, then why wouldn't it be just like when we make special creations, like the the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man that's created by that God in that movie? And, and one of the things that you see about these fictional characters is they don't poop, they don't have to eat, they don't have to live on these uh, on these uh, chemical cycles and all like that. See, God has unlimited abilities, so he, he could make people that are Stay Puft Marshmallow man and they don't have to poop, they don't have to come up with that, all this vulgarity. We don't have to be animals there's so much more that a god with infinite power could have done and would have done and evidently didn't do only because he didn't exist.
1: Well maybe the answer to the question is he made the universe in this way just to sort of like confuse us and trick us and to make uh, Lawrence Krauss famous.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, a, there's a far simpler explanation and that, that uh, the universe is designed like a computer game in that if it was easy if it was easy to live in then the game would be over very quickly whereas if you make the game almost impossibly hard then it keeps you interested for longer
3: yes but i mean in any game
2: and, and in any game you need lots of you need lots of people to get killed and you need a respawn button
3: which is But then you also have you also achieve a higher level and we don't see that happening
2: uh robots on bars <laughs>
3: No I mean what 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 should happen if this was a video game then reincarnation would be the way you wouldn't have eternal judgments you'd have reincarnation but you'd be reincarnating with in, with improved lifespan with improved abilities improved levels so that you're coming back in different planets different worlds it should be like heavy metal magazine back in the 1980s you know, anybody remember that from the 70s and 80s you had all these great stories that are going on in different worlds of different kinds of life forms and and you could be reincarnated this way in, uh, all oh, these come on. It's a,
2: game like, it's a game like Civilization. You don't play the individuals. You play the Civilization.
3: And on some occasions, God seems to be like he's playing both sides of the chessboard. He moves the piece and gets up and moves the pieces on the white side, too.
0: That's or why he has he's to not, harden maybe, the heart
2: of Pharaoh. Maybe he's an only child. Apparently,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he's an only that. child. He has to play both sides of the game.
5: Then the purpose would be you would have a capricious God with an ant farm.
0: With an ant farm. Yes, yes. I
1: think Bill the thing is, the thing is uh, Mrs. O, I, I totally agree with that. But if, if you um, are able to give up the idea that God is indeed all-loving, and there's good reason to give up that idea because all the evidence from the Bible suggests that he is not all-loving, he's a really hateful person, then why not? Why could that not be the purpose of the universe, for God to play out some experiment because he was getting bored with the solitude that he'd had for eternity?
3: I imagine an eternity of solitude would make you pretty
1: bitter. (laughs) A few years of solitude confinement seems to send most people mad. Um, again, uh, can I just remind people, if you'd like to join the show, send a Skype contract request through... Maybe uh, that's why he talked so One so second, please, if I, may, make. if I may just finish. Please, 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 I don't know how many times I have to say this, do not send one without the gist of the topic or question that you want to raise, otherwise you will be ignored or booted out. Anyway, we have waited patiently, uh, or David has wait, waited patiently uh, for Let's us. Be, let has been waiting. So,
2: sorry? Let me briefly add a point Well, very briefly, and then we're going to
1: take the caller. Thunder, and then the caller.
2: On on, on um, cute ways of summarising the universe, the true beauty of a self-inquiring sentient universe is lost on those who elect, uh, who elect to walk the intellectually vacuous path of comfortable paranoid fantasies.
1: Don't know where I heard it, but it's good. On that note, on that bombshell, let us move on to our first caller. Welcome to the show, David, and thank you for your patience. Hello, can you hear me? Perfectly, yes. One second, my assistant's calling. I know you have a couple of points that you'd like to raise. Um, Let's take them one at a time.
6: Uh, Yeah. Hi. Um, Actually, I was just going to advance what you were saying earlier about the purpose of the universe. Um, I'd like to ask the question: uh, What would be the purpose of heaven? Um, I mean, it seems. I mean, even if you grant that there is a purpose to the universe, and that purpose is to get to heaven, what is then the purpose of heaven? Um, you know, is it to sing songs and praise God for all eternity? That seems like a really quite a dumb, boring eternity
0: to me.
2: Well, I, I ignore what it would be like for the poor little sentient beings. If you're an infinitely powerful being, having someone do the same
6: thing day after day would get boring pretty quick, I would imagine. Well, yeah. So I mean, even if you grant them that there is a purpose to something, it 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 it's incredibly pointless because the I got it. Is God. God, God,
2: believes that he um he's been a bad boy, which he has, and so he's going to torture himself for eternity by having people worship him for eternity.
6: Yeah, imagine some of the like, oh, it'll be awful. Um, but what I what, what I wanted to call in about was um. um, Sorry,
1: before you move on, let me just throw in another bit about heaven. Um, Heaven is supposed to be a place where the gold-batch-wearing good people go to spend eternity. But my understanding of some people's interpretation of heaven is that they can actually hear the screams from hell. Now, given the fact that it's more than likely that some of your relatives are going to be down there screaming, uh, are you supposed to be enjoying heaven whilst listening to their screams? I guess so. Very anyway. odd.
3: That, that shows how, <laughs> how vindictive that position is and how infantile the perspective is. And once again, the idea of punishing people simply because of what they believe. When David Silberman was on uh, Bill O'Reilly's show last week, I noticed Bill O'Reilly did something interesting. He, he expressed what a reasonable person he is because he's completely accepting and tolerant of the fact that that David Silverman does not believe in the same God that Bill O'Reilly does. So Bill O'Reilly has elevated himself apparently above his own God because God does give a damn what you believe and he doesn't give a damn about anything else.
1: The idea of nearly Bill O'Reilly fills me with horror and kissing his ring (laughs) doesn't (laughs) fill me with, uh, uh, no. Anyway, let's move on to David's second point.
6: Um. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly about the, the tactic that um, the religious seems to be using. Uh, I don't know, I've got to, It's not a quote, but it, it seems to be like, let the kids decide for themselves. So show them both sides of the argument and then let them decide. I mean, it almost seems to me like, um, because science, science has already discovered these things, like we know certain things like the fact that populations evolve over time. And it seems to me like the they don't like this result, so they're saying, oh no, can we just do it again? And then we'll show the results not to a, a bunch of educated scientists who actually know something about this topic, but we'll show it instead to 12-year-olds. And then they can decide, uh, you know, these people aren't qualified to make this decision. They're not qualified to uh, to assess whether or not evolution is... I mean, in most cases, teachers aren't qualified to, to make that assessment. So uh, how can the, the children themselves be educated to make that assessment? I mean, it's quite an obvious tactic. They're clearly trying to... Imprint on these children. The here
3: idea in Texas, they, here in Texas, the Republican Party platform uh, would have permitted teachers to challenge the scientific consensus and unteach their science classrooms. The Republican Party platform would also have allowed students to disrupt education on specifically the the, the cases of, of science that touch on uh, origins of life. Uh, biodiversity or climate change, the students would be allowed to contest the teachers according to the platform to disrupt the classroom and prevent studies from occurring. And they had, if you read the platform out, and I've got uh, snippets from it on my blog, you'll see the the portions that they've highlighted that would allow this to happen. They don't want to be taught. They don't want. They don't care what the facts are. They really don't care. Truth is completely irrelevant. They want to indoctrinate children, and they want to get their minds paralyzed before the children actually have a chance to understand anything. Because once they do understand, then, then it's like you said. When you actually get to see a comparison of the facts, then you can make a decision. But you have to have that information first. You can, you can push religion on people that don't have any background information, and it's better if you choose people that don't have any background information than people who actually understand and know, know anything.
5: I've seen what it's like when you uh, teach the other side. There isn't very much to teach. I, I, uh, I'm taking a break from science teaching, but my son was in an after-school Bible camp, and I mean, what are you going to say when you teach biology? You could teach about dinosaurs, but this, this guy was like, was like, uh, "All right, children, everybody, um, say, uh, God said let there be a dinosaur, and there was a dinosaur." I mean, what, what kind of, how is that? It isn't very, um. It isn't very interesting, it, 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 it's very short, it's like, it's cheating. And I, don't, I wouldn't know what, what, how to teach both sides. What would I do? Oh, here, here's, a, here's a tiger, and he's amazing, right? God must have created him. Is that how you would teach that?
3: And here's a parasite. And, wow, that's interesting from a purely scientific perspective. God didn't make that, right? It's yeah, because look of all how-
6: children. <laughs> Look at how it's designed to burrow into your eye and eat your brain. I think i did a video on I know, who was it that did a video on that? Oh, it was a really good video. Um, it, uh, it was um, in response to the um, intelligent design, My, uh, Dr. Behe. I know that the Pothole of 54 did one. Yeah, that's it. But that was about smallpox
1: and the uh, bacteria yeah. flagella.
6: He said he was like, "Yes, I'm. I'm. Conf- I've converted yeah. now. Look, look at this. How could this not be designed? The way that the flagellum makes this thing burrow through the lining of your stomach.
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> the way he did it was brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think it's a there's a
1: there's a wonderful line that um, Hannibal Lecter comes up with in Silence of the Lambs when he's talking on I think the first or maybe second uh, encounter he has with Clarice Starling, um, and he refers to swans and syphilis." and how you can't pick and choose either you accept that God made, it, made everything or, or nothing and I, I, I always use that one, swans or syphilis, which, which one?
5: Or you could teach the children, it's because of you children, you're sinners, that's why we have syphilis
1: yeah. because uh, you sinned,
5: um, you have a sin nature
3: Daddy drinks because you cry <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well it's worse than that, um, it's not that you sinned, it's one of your most, the most distant um, relative actually sinned. In in what I have to say, it seems to be a somewhat uh, harmless way by eating some fruit. As a result of that, we end up with syphilis and tectonic plate movements. This is something actually that we touched upon last week. Didn't really get a satisfactory answer if I remember concordance.
7: You know,
3: I know that there are people who really earnestly believe that because I've seen people believe some really amazingly, bewilderingly stupid things. But there are a whole lot of people out there that I don't think they can believe what they believe in the same way that I believe what I believe. I mean, I have an actual confidence that I will be able to vindicate my point and... Therefore, I'm not worried about any challenge to do so, and a lot of other people very much worry about having their beliefs challenged because it's apparent they know that those beliefs won't really be vindicated if you looked at them too, too deeply. I believe that the whole thing is a matter of
0: pretend, and that's why truth is irrelevant. I'm sure Thunder sure um, the Corns wanted to say something,
1: but if not, we'll go back to Dave. I'll,
4: I'll go real quick. Um, it, it's what I said to uh, that creationist guy went to see his talk uh, a couple months ago uh, in the Q&A section, uh, Brad Harrop. Uh, the, well, the first question I had for him is, you know, science has been so productive. When it was freed from religious dogma, and science was free to ask those really ruthless questions and pursue them based on the evidence, we we got most of the things that we have today. Whereas when we constrain our science to just that which is compliant with religious doctrine, you get nothing, you get the Dark Ages, you get a complete stagnation of science because things like evolution help to make sense of things. Uh, And not teaching students to understand the underlying principle is a formula for failure. It's a formula for a new dark age.
0: Uh,
3: And And they're completely open to that. I mean, it's amazing to me the the similarities between the original dark ages and what they want for the modern theocracy, as I was explaining in Tallahassee. All, All I did in the Tallahassee speech was read from the Republican Party platform. It was medieval.
2: I mean, I I think uh, if you take a couple of steps back, the problem becomes even uh, clearer. You know, why do we actually educate children at all? What's the point of it, right? And the whole point of it is, is that we've had um, millions of man-hours of really smart people analysing problems in order to um, collate data, and what allows us to whatever. Um, sequence genomes, build computers and the such like is our ability to store access and teach that information to the next generation right you, you are by well, where you have schools is such that you can you know do that matrix thing where you basically upload the knowledge of all of the smartest people working on a lot of the problems um, the you yeah, know, mankind has an interest in solving and you can do it in, you know, whatever, 20 years or something. Um, why would you, if, if you really just want to say, here is some information, go make up your mind, why bother with schools at all? Why not just actually send the kids out and say, make up your own mind about the world? You know, the reason that you do this is such that you don't have to, from first principles, understand to, to work out Newtonian physics on your own from first principles. You don't have to do it because we can teach it in schools. That's why we do it. I mean, to, to me, the the idea that um, you throw away all of this hard-earned information and just sort of tell the kids to make up their minds and believe whatever they want. The, uh, it, it really just undermines the entire principle of education.
5: The former uh, president of the Board of Education in Texas once said that that students should be allowed to jump to their own conclusions. <laughs> he actually said that.
3: Yeah, he also said that the, this um, this critical thinking stuff is gobbledygook
1: is this the dentist, Don McLeary? No, yes. it's
3: it not. Was Don- no, it was Don oh. it No, that wasn't Don McLeary. That was Bradley. Uh, that guy, this is a guy who was uh, the, the vice chairman of the Board of Education, and he has no education to speak of. I mean, I, I believe a high school diploma, that's it. And he, homes, he, he was homeschooled himself and homeschools his own kids. So why was he ever on the
1: state board? But I'm going to leave that alone. Um, I said we'll go straight back to David, but I think we're going to go back to David's via concordance. Who wants to tell us about that wonderful quote? Which one? Standing on the shoulders.
4: Oh, portal two. I can't remember the the exact wording, but uh, you know, here at Aperture Science, crazy. we don't stand on the shoulders of giants' crap. We we <laughs> do the science fresh each time, mm. so they don't they don't mess around with pre- previous work.
6: Exactly,
1: David. Let's go back to you.
6: Um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to, to put in there that um, I'm doing a, oh, I have done a degree in ancient history, and I'm at the moment studying uh, for a master's in ancient history at Bristol. Um, and the reason I like the that period of history is precisely what we are discussing. You know, as soon as you leave, um, you know, ancient history and you start going into pre-modern history and medieval period, it's just it's like. The Romans left, and then the people that were left had a choice: we can either go and live in mud huts, or we can live in these villas. And we're going to choose the mud huts and go down the route of, you know, the religious Dark Ages, which is so disappointing. Um, but yeah, I mean, my my final point, um, or thing that I wanted to bring up was, um, I don't know how many people are aware of it, but um, in England recently there's been a uh, sort of a law passed which um, which mandates that schools that receive funding from the government have to by law teach evolution as scientific fact essentially Um, and they're not allowed to get around this because they were planning on getting around it by not teaching evolution in science classes teaching creationism in religious classes and then the only thing that the kids are being exposed to is creationism in religious classes Um, so what they've done is they've said no you can't only subject them to one point of view even if it's in a religious classroom which is allowed? You have to teach them evolution in science classrooms. Um, so I mean, I wonder why why this sort of thing wasn't being adopted in the U.S. Why is that such an impossibility?
3: Because as I mentioned before, in the United States, with the creationism movement, they don't care what the truth is. Truth is irrelevant. The whole perspective is is they have. It's a matter of pretend they have an imaginary world that they have built up and they've got an imaginary history that they've rewritten i mean if check out the movie the revisionaries they want to rewrite history so that it leads up to them as the ultimate conclusion and they don't they really don't care what the facts are they're not out to understand anything you've got people that want to understand who have a natural curiosity and then you have people who don't and texas i'm sorry is is uh... heavily populated with people who don't want to understand they have instead a deep-seated need to believe and that's why we have so many megachurches
5: when i went to the administrator to say something about how this man was saying a god-created dinosaurs instantly right she said well i mean you have what you believe and they have what they what they believe and you know there is just and not understanding of science. I mean, if I'd rather be- rather not, I'd rather not believe algebra is that hard as it is. But it is, you know. I mean, I I,
2: it? it's, I think concordance basically had it right there with you know what I believe built great civilizations, uh, what you believed has achieved nothing. Uh, you know, this there there is an objective parameter that you can distinguish these two on.
3: Yes, and and less than achieving nothing, Thunderfoot, I mean, it's important that people begin to see, and I would like for them to see, how much religion has historically always been an impediment to progress, not just in science, but in politics and human rights and practically every other avenue as well. It's just like Hitchens said, religion poisons everything.
5: It's easier to believe. And it takes a lot of thought to understand evolution, and you're not going to put the effort into doing it if you want to have that feel-good feeling that God created you in his own image, and you're super special, you know?
3: And you're the reason that the universe exists. And what's and I, and I like Concordance. Was it you, Concordance, that said, what is the purpose of heaven? No, it was me. It, well, yeah. it was you. It was you, Okay yeah okay. well, yeah and I, I very much like that because there is no purpose to heaven I mean it's to spend an eternity you know filleting this tyrant and that's that's
6: that it. My that's point.
0: yeah.
6: It's completely yeah. pointless, it's redundant but it's exactly the same as on earth you, know, you can superimpose whatever purpose you want onto heaven you, know, you can fly, run around all day chasing butterflies with a butterfly net or singing hymns to a hymn God but you can do that on earth. And Anything you can do in heaven you can do on earth you can sing to God all you like on earth and just have a, you know, a death date And Um, so
3: the ultimate question, or the, the, the ultimate judgment there, whether you go to heaven or hell, and both of them are being eternal, and there's no way to change anything. There's no decisions that can be made. there. There's no way to be in heaven and piss off God and go to hell, and there's no way that God will be merciful of people. You know what? You've been in hell long enough. Come on up. There's no changing this. So what you've got is people offering unimaginable rewards that they will never have to produce, and that's only for those who believe the nonsense they're selling. And if you don't believe the non- nonsense they're selling, well, then they don't just have a carrot; they have a stick too. And that's where you got the eternal damnation, the fate worse than death, which again they'll never have to produce. And the fact is, that choice is so childish in itself and so unrealistic on its face that that one option given the choice of heaven or hell, just the presentation of those options should already be evidence enough to tell you that there's no there there, that there's no substance to this belief system. Because it wouldn't be this choice if God were real.
1: I think um quite a few people uh, on the panel who are actually uh, contributors to a video done by Seth Andrews who's the moving force behind the Thinking Atheist Channel uh when he um, did a video about heaven and the afterlife, and it was undoubtedly the case. I mean, I I contributed. I know that you did, Owen. I'm not sure what, what you did as well. I think much as I'm not so sure about. But our, our collective main point, I think, was that the idea of an eternity of any sort, even in heaven, would actually be hell for us. And I think I expressed it that way myself. And the reason is that I do I, I can't see that eternal life is a blessing. I think it's actually a torment. Um, so, for me, eternal life, yeah, I think, I, again, I put it somewhere, the first thousand years might be bearable, the first ten thousand, no, the first million, no. And that's just the beginning. The, I, I, it's an odd thing to say, but there, uh, for me, there's a time to hang up the party, walk away from the party. Uh, hang up your codpiece.
6: Yeah, I've seen then, that video of you walking home. It seems that, yeah, that's quite early in the morning. That video on Facebook. I've no idea what you're
1: referring to. <laughs> I'm I, 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 I on, I on I my rights under the Fifth Amendment. But no, yeah. the idea of heaven, even if it is, uh, if we can perceive it in this lovely way, still, I think, would be a hell.
0: Yes. Yeah.
3: I was, I was very happy to be involved in that particular video. Uh, and it's too bad that Concordance wasn't a part of that but I mean DPR Jones and Thunderfoot both did brilliantly in that um, and it was a it was a very good collaborative effort is one of the best things that we've all done together
6: um, I mean if, if you want me to wrap up um, since it's quite festive the uh, the miracle on 34th Street is being aired um, and there's a, a brilliant scene in that where um, it's uh, for anyone who doesn't know it's about Santa Claus is going under undergoing a legal trial to see whether or not he exists. Um, and uh, the guy, the lawyer comes up to the table and says, Uh, which is worse, a lie that draws a smile or a truth that draws a tear? And of course, the the answer is, um, in, in the context of the film, that it's better that these children believe in Santa, even if he doesn't exist. Um, than so you know, to know I have,
3: people, have and, many times, I disagree,
0: people, <laughs> I've heard many say,
3: times people oh. use the defense. That if God did not exist, it would be necessary to create him. And they're using the same logic that you're highlighting right now. Yeah, And it goes back to what I was saying, where I don't think these people actually do believe. I think a lot of them do. But, I mean, there are some who pretend, and they know they're pretending. And I think it's a very conscious thing. I have encountered people who, when I shake their beliefs, actually do hold their hands over their eye, uh, over their ears, close their eyes, run out of the room, whatever, to escape the reality that I'm imposing on them. They have a desperate need to hold to that belief. I was in a debate with this one guy who told me that he was completely objective. He was uh, he was a Methodist, and he, would, and he understood science, and he was completely accepting of all things science, and he would be completely objective if I could give him evidence that there was no God. And it wasn't minutes later before he confessed that he would rather take a bullet in the ear than to give up his faith, and I simply brought forward well, then you're not being objective, then, are you? It it matters more that you believe than you even live. It's more important to you than life itself, and a lot of people have told me that very sentiment. They need to believe, and damn anything else. Their belief matters more to them than their families, and they'll come out and say that, too. They'll ostracize their own children. They'll they'll abandon their their co-workers, their spouses, whatever. Uh, it it doesn't matter. They will maintain that delusion at all costs.
6: Well, that's the point. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean the miracle of 34th Street. Um, I'd say quite well. So I mean, for anyone that hasn't watched that film, I recommend it and pay close attention to that scene, um, because it, it ultimately all ends in uh in the judge saying that well, if God can exist and is printed on our money, then Santa Claus can exist as well. Um but yeah, I mean that's pretty much what I wanted to say. So I mean you can get some of the callers on. Thank you very much for your call, David. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. And have a have a wonderful Christmas if I'm allowed and to you. say that.
1: Bye. You said Christmas. <laughs> Are aren't we at war with Christmas? <laughs>
3: well.
1: I say it deliberately well, look. because what has happened in the last week, I've already seen the videos appearing on YouTube in which Bill O'Reilly is, and, and Fox News in general is being criticized for uh, their reporting of this war on Christmas. And what I have found is that this is something I'm only aware of since I joined YouTube, which was about six years ago. Every single year at about this time of year, we get exactly the same thing. Fox News saying, oh, these evil, nasty atheists are no, declaring man, the their war on T-P-A, Christmas because they're taking a court action against this or that. They never once accurately report the fact that it, it's someone trying to defend the Constitution. No, you don't get that. It's the evil atheists. I've heard it for six years. I'm bored with it. You've had it, Aaron, obviously for substantially and longer, you've, the, you've living in America. That's what I'm pissed off about. It bores me senseless. Merry Christmas, everyone. I don't care what you say. Sorry,
2: you've you've got it all wrong. Um, What what the war on Christmas is, is it's people trying to turn the capitalistic festival of Christmas into some sort of religious festival. That's the war on Christmas.
3: And they're using political avenues to do it, which is why we have to defend the Constitution. And DPR is right, we're never going to get credit for defending the Constitution, nor in the fact that the atheists are leading the the defense of the freedom of religion, which of course you can't have if you have Uh, a state endorsement. Aaron,
2: I I think you missed it as well. Christmas is not and hasn't been a Christian festival for years. It's a capitalistic festival. Well, yeah, well right? that's what I'm saying. So there, yeah, I'm is there only the Christmas. crazies you want to to turn
1: Christmas into a religious. No, we, we're not missing hey. the point, Thunder. We get that point. We're being right, sarcastic. Well, but hold
3: on. Let me let me clarify something. I mean, I mean, this year, uh, we're we're taking a family holiday to celebrate Chinese New Year. Okay. I mean, I will celebrate any number of holidays that that. I find amusing or that I find special for whatever reason. I don't have to have any religious significance to it. you know i mean i I would love to go celebrate Diwali I mean, I'm completely open to enjoying anybody's damn holiday according to their tradition
5: i i um I've actually uh when I taught language arts, I would taught the Christmas Carol and I had Jewish students. so there is an element of still of the religious part of of Christmas. they're like, well, we don't celebrate Christmas. You know, and you know, and if I was another teacher, and I could be a butt munch about it, you know, and say, "Hey, this this country is founded on God. Why don't you celebrate Christmas?" You know, or something like that. And some 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 teachers do do that to to children, but yeah. I was just teaching it because I was teaching Dickens. But it it wasn't a a religious thing.
1: Let's take our second caller, and Oliver, if I can, uh, Olivia, I'm sorry, if I can invite you, please, mute um, the mic when you're not talking, we can hear your keyboard clicking away in a very irritating manner, uh, but, sorry. that's okay. I mean,
3: listen to how rude
7: DPR is mm-hmm. to our
1: guests, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've I tried being British rude to you, it doesn't work, I'm like. trying being rude to the guests, I don't know, uh, for some reason, maybe it's because I'm hosting the call, when someone's typing on the keyboard, it comes through in my ear like a really loud click, maybe you don't hear it. I know, but anyway. I hear
3: it. I'm just much more tolerant than you. Well,
1: are. I'm intolerant because I'm older and I'm English. <laughs> <laughs> at my age, I'm allowed to be intolerant. Anyway, on that bombshell, let's invite Olivia uh, to the show. What have you got for us today?
8: Hi. Uh, sorry about
1: the keyhole. No, I apologise for being cantankerous, old English <laughs> git. No,
8: okay. I love your videos, by the way. You. You're great. Just those at the beginning. Um, well, I was.
1: Don't obviously let me
8: stop like, brown nosing, I love it. Um what I was gonna talk about is that I was like my dad is like um religious. He's not like Christian, but he sort of wears a mismatch of um like deistic beliefs. He also believes in reincarnation. And obviously I'm sort of an atheist. Um and so we're discussing like the origin of the universe and God and he sort of maintains that you know, he believes in evolution and all that stuff, but he believes that you know, some instances, Divine Spirit well God created everything in the beginning and like, well, if you can say, like, you know, when, the big, what happened before the Big Bang, then I'll never bother you about that again. Um, and, but I was saying, like, well, you you know, by the same token, how can you say, like, how can you say where God came from, like, how can you say like, that, you know, he was, he, then he responded with, God has always been there, he's eternal. I didn't really know what to say to that, like, what can I say? No, he isn't. Do
0: is you guys know what a good response
5: to that would be? Oh, there's, there's a NOVA. Uh, there's a NOVA where Carl
4: Sagan answers that exact question hmm. and that exact phrasing. I'm sorry, what, uh, Cosmos, where, where Carl Sagan answers it so beautifully. And the punchline is, why don't we just save a step? If we could have a, an eternal universe or if the mystery of God's eternalness is a mystery, why don't we just save a step and say that it, the whole thing is a mystery? Where, where eternity comes from, what the first thing was, what was the primal atom, all of those things. Why invent something with a name and a, an attitude and a you know give it personification? Why not just say, we don't know? It's a good question. How could
5: something that complex always be here and not come from something else? Everything we've seen in the universe starts out in a simpler form and and it and, it, and evolves. And those things need conditions to evolve. So what? So that means the universe would have to be there for God to be there. So, uh, it, it, how could something that, you know, more complex than anything we've ever known come from nothing?
3: Well, again, you'll see my wife is talking about the same thing and Cordance was talking about. She understands about emergent properties, and people who believe in God typically do not understand this.
8: Yeah, I guess
0: that was, was
1: what I wanted to say as well. But what, what, then, uh, how, sorry. I'm sorry, for some reason, your audio for me was obviously not as good as it was for the others because I didn't fully uh, hear what you're saying, but you're talking about your child. No, my dad. Oh, your dad. Um, well, it, it doesn't matter, in fact, it, um, the, the same point would apply. Um, my approach, which I've tended to adopt more recently, um, before even entering into any sort of discussion, is to get them to define exactly what they mean. And I think that that's the best way of getting them to think, what exactly is the nature of your God? Um, what uh, what is its form? What is its structure? What is its ca- what is its capabilities and so on and so forth?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and you can do that in a very non-hostile way. Uh, and I think that um, when you do adopt that sort of approach, it does cause them, force them uh, to start thinking, uh, and that may be an approach to take. I don't know. Thunder, you've been quiet on this one. Do you have anything to say? I think um, Thunder left. Apparently not. He seems uh, okay. We've lost Thunder. I thought he was still here. <laughs> asking, asking questions is, I think, a good.
2: Sorry, uh, yeah, I'm I'm here. It's just you got me at the exact moment I was away from the keyboard. why,
1: Thunder. There's no need for too much information.
2: Okay. Um, no, I mean I I agree almost entirely uh, with what Concordance says. Yeah, um, if it's an unknown, you call it an unknown. Um, the only reason that you actually speculate about things or hypotheses as we would actually call them in science is if you actually plan to take it forwards. Um, if there is no no conceivable way that you can actually take it to um, a growth of knowledge, you're speculating about an unknown. You, know, you might as well be speculating about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. It's just pointless hand-waving at an unknown. Um, yeah, I, 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 it, it, it does seem to be a an area that a lot of religious philosophers um, like to occupy, but I mean, ultimately, that's all it is: is it's hand waving as an unknown, and it's a particularly unproductive activity.
3: When we went to Skepticon, there were some protesters standing outside, <coughs> and one of them was carrying this giant, ridiculous wooden cross. And I had a bit of a confrontation with him, where we were talking about the rules of debate. Uh, it was well, a very simple thing. We, I'd be happy to debate to, to you or your person. I just want to make this one rule: that when um, that, that I cannot say that something is unless I can show that it is. And if I can't show that it is, then the best that I can do is that I can say I can believe it for whatever reason. But if I can't show a reason. I really shouldn't even say that I believe it. I should kind of admit that it is an unknown. So. When you went and I, I invited him to have the same rule, it's just to be on the same same board here. So you cannot say that anything is unless you can show that it is. And I would not that guy would not accept that rule. It's a simple enough thing. You know, I you, you can say that you've got somebody hiding in the closet, and 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 you refuse to go open the door because you want to believe there's somebody hiding in the closet, but you can't honestly make that statement. And I don't understand why people don't understand that it is dishonest to assert as fact that which is not evidently true, and that's the whole position that religion is based on
1: Well I appreciate the contribution made by Desert File in the chat. Always a pleasure to hear from you, Desert Powell. Um actually, actually I'm, I'm, at a skeptic conference. What the fuck? Stop thinking critically. Stop thinking. <laughs> I mean <laughs> No, 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 is, I
2: I, I can't. I think I got that beat. Did you say these guys were carrying a cross? Yeah. Yeah, you should have gone up to and asked them. Are you are you guys deity hunters? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm just wondering because we used a cross to get rid of the last one. Are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: they,
2: they, these crosses are remarkably good for getting rid of uh, uh desert desert gods. Um
3: Yeah, and speaking of I mean desert file, I wanna I wanna throw out there that we also had protesters at the Reason rally, and yes. They were protesting reason quite literally.
8: And um, There's one other thing that, that occurred to me when I was listening to the other caller, if you have time, another point. I know I didn't sure. want to know. Um, This is sort of this is more related to the science part, um I can't quite listen to you, but I live with someone who um, is not religious, as I can tell, um, but he doesn't accept evolution. He doesn't believe it's true. And I study biochemistry, so I know you know a little bit about evolution. So I was trying to explain to him why it is true. And he started off with the whole that if we came from monkeys, why are there still monkeys here? Which is at the point at which I knew
3: can, we, can I can I jump in and say if if we did not come from monkeys, then why are we still monkeys? Can you throw that question at him?
1: Could I could I <laughs> yeah. ask another thing as well? Um I think you said that he was not particularly religious yet he doesn't believe in evolution how did you think that everything happened?
8: yeah that's why I couldn't get him, I, get, I asked him that but he
3: just got you know, he ok just, now did, did you, you mention this about? one because this was this is a very good argument for the people that do the why are there still monkeys thing I don't know how they imagined that all these individual monkeys would by some catalyst unknown to science all turn into people and and, and of course If he's saying that, then he's he's only atheist because he hasn't found a religion yet. I've met people like this. They are atheist Uh, uh, until they find a religion, and then they just claim that that one's the one that they believe. It's like shopping for these people. So, what you've uh, got is an actual theist in, in, in concealment. Ask him this We know, for example, that dogs, domestic dogs, all domestic dogs were derived from Asiatic wolves. So if dogs came from wolves why are there still wolves it is exactly the same principle and I've had people argue that it is not but it is it's the identical same principle and then once they realize that then they realize the whole monkey thing and then again the question is legitimate if we did not come from monkeys then why are we still monkeys and you're welcome to show him my video on that
1: there's another question you could ask him as well if he does think that um, we came from mud and lightning asking why there is still mud and lightning. Yeah,
2: that, that, that's one of the headshots. The other one <laughs> yeah. is um, uh, it, it works for Americans. You know, if, if Americans came from Europeans, why are they still
1: Europeans? Yeah. But again, it's one of those things I would suggest just ask him because I think when you ask questions and get them through, well, obviously you have sought to do so, um, I, I think that's the most polite way of making them think and exposing the inadequacies of their answers, if indeed they can, in fact, be called answers. As I say, I just simply don't understand. If, If evolution is not the explanation, then he's going to have to come up with something pretty profound, which I imagine is going to have to involve some sort of magic. I, I, yeah. I simply don't see any other option that he has. Now, if he prefers to believe in magic than reality and science, then what can you do? I don't know.
4: Yeah, I, another I think good illustration. People really want science to be intuitive. They want it to line up with their personal experiences. I mean, they're all. Okay with like quantum physics and these little particles they've never seen before doing whatever the scientists tell them happen. But when it comes to animals, people feel like they have a pretty good grip on animals. They understand how one animal makes a different animal, you know, they, a dog always gives birth to a dog. And when the scientist says to them, no, 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 the dog, you know, comes from a non-dog, uh, ultimately, way back down the line, people reject that, and they reject that because it's outside their own experiences. Okay, then so I have to pause you. To a couple course. of
1: wonderful examples that people have been putting in the chat. D. London Cole to start with. It says, "If cheese comes from milk, why is, why is there still milk?"
0: Um,
1: <laughs> so, then desert okay. Soil, let, me, let me give you Why are there really still detailed. cows? And then someone, one last one, said, "Protestants came from Catholics," so. Uh, yeah. Very good. We've got okay. a very we've got a very good audience today. Thank Olivia, you, Olivia.
3: I want to give an explanation that will help help ease this because the problem that people have is they do not see evolution happening on populations. And two ways that you can show that when we're talking about dogs, for example, don't talk about dogs, talk about a subset of dogs, talk about something like da- dachshunds for example. I mean, so we, don't, we know we didn't have a mass massive meat that suddenly turned into a dachshund. We know we know how the dachshund breed was bred and it wasn't that you know basset hounds suddenly gave birth to a to a dachshund puppy. People can understand that small scale of how these new you know these new
1: phenotypes emerge The problem with just that, I if I may, and, and please deal with this, is that what they will say is happening there is microevolution, and no, not even any creations I'm aware of will say that microevolution doesn't happen. What they will say is you cannot go from dog types, kinds, to cat-type things. So right, and, and, and again, that's a deliberate that.
3: distortion and the way to work around that is to look at languages, because you know the Pat Robertson thing. We're not not Pat Robertson, but Ray Comfort, where he talks about that first dog pooping out of nowhere and then having to look for a female. Well, we know about the Latin-based languages, right? You know, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Romanian. Th- these all came from Latin, right? And it's not that you know if 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 French is a Latin-based language and comes from Latin, then why were there people that were speaking Latin when you suddenly have people speaking French? I can't say why, is there's still Latin, because there isn't still Latin, in this case. But we didn't have suddenly one guy is speaking French and he has to go find a woman he can speak French to, you know, and he's going to go find somebody who coincidentally suddenly starts speaking French. It's on a population scale. When you look at Spanish, for example, there's got all these archived stories like Don Quixote and all that. When you go back down through the ages, you start seeing Spanish. Becoming closer and closer and closer to Latin. And you can see the divisions. You can do the same thing in the fossil record, but you have to look at it on a population scale. And language is a good way to illustrate that. So the macroevolution is the division between Spanish, French, and Romanian. These are complete different distinctions. This is macroevolution. None of them are Latin. And they're not able to intermingle. I mean, you can't have somebody who speaks Spanish understand what somebody who's speaking Romanian is trying to say. It doesn't work that way. Or and Italian. And it.
1: I have to apologise to Concordance, who, uh, again, people in the chat will not be aware of, has messaged me saying, "For God's sake, let me answer the question." I will, but I want to throw in before I come back to you, Concordance, two of the comments that have been made in the chat. Firstly. Um, from D. and Cole again, uh, to uh, you Concordance, if birds evolved from dinosaurs, why does Concordance have that avatar? Um, and there was a second one which I'll come back to you on, so uh, please, in giving your answer, address that question as well. <laughs>
4: I'm not. I'm not going to. I, what I recommend is The Relativity of Wrong by Isaac Asimov. If you haven't read it, if you don't understand what he's trying to, to say, it's, it's a very profound point in communicating science to laypeople and that is that the processes which are hardest to observe but that are all around us are the ones that no one will believe until The evidence is so profoundly overwhelming they can no longer deny it. The reason why very intelligent people, as recently as 2,000 years ago, had no idea that the Earth was round is because the curvature of the Earth is very near to zero. It is very hard to see that the Earth is, in fact, a giant sphere-like object, even though we're here all the time observing it. And if you had tried to assert to someone that the Earth is essentially round before all of this evidence came out, until we had these photographs of the Earth, of course, there are still people that don't believe that. But it's the fact that we are familiar with these objects, and the rate of change that we are talking about, the departure from zero, the departure from what seems intuitive, is so very, very small that people require a great deal more persuasion finally realize the truth of it and that's the case of realizing the earth is round, it's the case of realizing that plants and animals are constantly changing they're just changing at such a rate that it is almost zero and I understand why people even non-religious people have a hard time of accepting things like geological time Processes that happen on these profoundly long scales of time, or on these profoundly huge scales of distance, or these profoundly small scales of distance, it's very hard to accept them because they are so far from that narrow middle range that we are so accustomed to in time and distance and weight and force. That's it. That's all I'd say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Olivia, back to you.
8: Yeah, that was that was really interesting. I think that is pretty much at the crux of the matter like for most people in coded. One thing I was going to ask people about is um, the whole macro-micro evolution thing. Like, is that a real thing in biology? Because or yes, it, see, it is,
3: and I'll I'll explain it very briefly.
8: Because um, I never heard those terms. Like well, we did an evolution module last year, and they never mentioned. Uh,
3: yeah, the microevolution and macroevolution were devised by evolutionary scientists, but they don't continue to use these words because they don't have any significant meaning in most instances. I mean, what it basically comes down to is that microevolution is all the variation that you would have within a given species, and that once speciation occurs, that is an example of macroevolution, and macroevolution would be then the uh, the degree of evolution that these populations would take between species, which is much, which is actually much accelerated because they're no longer restricted by the the parent gene pool. So, if if you have ever seen a new species emerge, and we've seen dozens, then you have seen macro evolution occur. It does occur in a lab. It does occur in direct observation. It's the micro macro thing are as far as um, as far as processes go, they're virtually identical. I mean, there are some population variants that other people will argue that are really into this sort of thing. but And I've seen a couple of people that are really heavy into evolutionary biology say that there is a difference with these on the scale of populations that they're talking about once you segregate the original gene pool that was restricting the, the population at time. But for your purposes, our purposes, there is no difference. It is the same thing it's just change within a species versus change between species or speciation. And I hope that made sense.
8: Yeah, yeah that makes complete sense, yeah. I,
1: reckon it's- what I What I find interesting, before you leave this Olivia, I just want to pick up um, on, on that because obviously that, um, the way you've described it is kind of like the way that the creationists would describe it, is it not? They're just saying that macro doesn't actually happen, it's only micro. I don't know whether we've lost Aaron. No, I'm here. I didn't, okay. I didn't hear what you said. I guess. Well, maybe you didn't miss much. The, the the distinction that you described is not that different to that which the creationists rely on. Or the right. That's, I mean, that's fun. where
4: the, they can't get it from. Is is it is true that uh, evolution within a species, that the change of uh, different things within a group is still called microevolution, and and that is distinguished from macroevolution where the the competition is different. You know, you may have a a pathogen and its host would both be undergoing macroevolution with respect to each other, whereas the microevolution would be the evolution of new groups within a single species.
3: One way of of addressing this is like when you look at what is considered a subspecies if it's done by natural selection and a breed if it's done by artificial selection is that you will have a strain of a given uh, set of dog or cattle or whatever it is that we want to breed that you have created unique traits that are identifiable as to say like when I mentioned before about dachshunds, you have what you could recognize as a dachshund, you have a stable breed it's still chemically and physically interfertile with other breeds but you have created a stable strain of your own breed and natural selection does something very similar now when these are separated to the point where a physical or chemical or even a social uh, boundary emerges where uh, these, these two groups, these two populations, will not interbreed, sometimes won't even interbreed even, with the, even when they physically or genetically can, then you have an emergence of a new species. And that population is not restrained by the parent gene pool that it came from it's no longer interbreeding with them. So it it is able to diverge at a much faster rate now.
4: Does that make any sense? Can I make a quick point on this too? If you punch the words into the literature, into the MEDLINE database, if you punch in evolution, you get 330,000 papers returned. If you punch in macroevolution, you get 270. And if you punch in microevolution, you get about 500, 486 so we 're talking about most of the time ninety nine point nine percent of the time when scientists refer to evolution in the medical literature and the scientific literature, they simply say evolution. There are a few cases where they have to differentiate the two processes simply because of some aspect of the population structure but ninety nine point nine percent of the time scientists simply say evolution um, because the the, the the laws governing that process apply to both within species and between species changes
3: now what the creationists want to happen when they talk about macroevolution is again another deliberate misrepresentation they want macroevolution to be where a new species of fruit fly, for example, which we've seen many times, they complain it's still a fruit fly, or a new species of stickleback is still a stickleback fish. Well, of course, it's going to be, taxonomically, it has to be, the laws of evolution won't allow it to be anything else. But this is what they want to misrepresent. They want the parents to give birth to an offspring that is not related to its own parents. They want a stickleback fish to give birth to a banana tree. Which is why
1: we end up with things like the crocodile. But this is, I mean, I, I don't want to go to that extreme because um, to me that shows such a degree of ignorance that, uh, if, if, it that ha- if that happens, it's it would completely disprove the theory of evolution. Um, yeah. But I, w- I do want to go to Thunderfoot on this because, in what I consider is a um, ridiculously criticized uh, interview he had with Ray Comfort. The one thing that Thunderfoot did, if nothing else, was to actually get Ray Comfort to appreciate that speciation did take place, and he was referring uh, to the salamanders, I think, around the Californian Basin. I can't remember. Yes, and Salamanders. Tell us through that, because I know at the end his line was, "Oh well, yeah, they were just infertile." Talk us briefly through the conversation you had with him.
2: Well, I mean, it's basically. The, the the gene flow uh uh is a function of environment so there are these salamanders um in the Sierra Nevada which is a there are two ranges of mountains that go through california one is the coastal range and then there's a dry valley called the sacramento valley and on the other side there's the sierra nevada um and there are these salamanders and uh the The coastal range is wetter than the Sierra nevada range um and so there's a, it's a fork species um, uh that these salamanders have adapted to the coastal range or to the sierra nevada and the they they can um bridge the gap between the two mountain ranges further north where it's wetter um and so each species is, or each um, population of salamanders, in, can interbreed with the next, of course, until you get around to um, the ones that are separated by the dry Sacramento Valley, and they can't interbreed with each other. There is no, uh, um, well, they, they they can't interbreed because they can't cross the geographical boundary. And even if they could, they can't interbreed because the genetics of the populations sufficiently um different um on both sides of the mountains um and you ask this uh, you put this to ray and you know he would agree that they're all the same species and then you get to well what about the ones on both ends of the mountains they can't interbreed and he says, Well, they're just infertile and of course that's not true. They are fertile. They can interbreed with the um, with the salamanders of the the same mountain range. They just can't interbreed with those on this separate mountain range.
1: And Yeah, and at that point he had to agree that this was speciation. And you yeah, then and asked he him, what's the that? difference yeah. between speciation and you know Um, macro evolution and he he basically didn't have an answer so far as I recall.
2: Yeah, um, the the stunning answer was, well if that's what you call evolution then I accept evolution or something along those lines. Uh, Which is a bit of an irony because after that um, I think he went and did the interview with Pat Robertson where he suggested that evolution had to be wrong. Because if a dog evolves um uh, you know, with eyes, ears, um, lungs, whatever, um unless the there is a female dog that evolves at the same time, then you know this dog that has evolved, eyes, ears, whatever, will just die, which is um so crazily dumb that it it's difficult to know where to begin in that Dogs usually are products of reproduction, which requires both a male and a female of the species.
4: Which is a bit like the first man to speak French. That must have been awfully confusing, because when he started speaking French, no one else could understand what he was saying, right?
2: Exactly. Far more succinctly put, thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's actually a uh, a, a very good analogy. Uh, I think the the uh, evolution of language, but um, I know that, and I mm-hmm. can't remember who was um, speaking at the time. But I know that Aaron, uh, in the course of a conversation with someone, uh, did say that he would like to have had more time to talk about the evolution. Oh, I think it was when a video response to Taxi Andy some years ago. Uh, I, I think you should do a video or a couple of videos if you haven't already, Aaron, uh, about the evolution of the sexist, because I think that. Um, that's something that a lot of people probably don't understand, myself included.
5: I wanted to answer Olivia's question. I'm kind of used to simplifying science because I've taught it to children. Microevolution would be species level, um, like adaptation, stuff like that, and macroevolution would be population level well, no. changes.
3: They're they're both populations though.
5: Oh, like
3: like a a, a dachshund, for example. That's that's a population now you can have other breeds in that and they're they're all in the same population if they're intergene if they're you know genetically intermingling but you're not going to maintain separate breeds if you have them all mingling so they're separate they're kept as separate populations by breeders so it's just the dachshund is not its own species yet because it's still capable of of breeding with others and will okay and so it's not a separate species when it gets to the point where it it can't or won't then it becomes a distinct species.
5: So, would macroevolution be community level? Like all the populations in a certain um, habitat?
3: No, no, no. it's 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 simply when you have this, this division that has its unique traits where every member of this population has these traits that are not shared in common with any member of the opposing population and then the additional step, that's the, up to that point is subspecies or breed, but then the additional step is when it either can't or won't interbreed with the other population and then they're completely separate. So the dominant gene pool usually imposes restrictions on diversity rather than encouraging that and, and what you get with evolution is evolution ha- happens faster in small populations divided from the whole. And so once they do that separation where the, where the parent gene pool has no more bearing or effect on them, they are free to diverge much faster.
4: I think you summarized it beautifully Lalandra. I think it is just basically any evolution above the species level is macro.
3: Yeah, but it has to include species level.
5: You know the yeah. the the kind of amazing um evolution they're looking for like like why why were the, all these dinosaurs there hundreds of millions of years and now the the world's dominated by uh, mammals. Um that that is kind of like that that's another level of understanding like um that something like catastrophic has to happen to drive that kind of change, um, and uh, wipe out what it, it's like. It's called punctuated equilibrium. You go through these periods of stasis, uh, stasis where 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 um, the species don't change very very much. But then, but then, if something catastrophic like climate change happens, and and uh, lots of uh, forms become extinct, that opens up niches for for another type of uh, animal to come in and and, and um uh, and change and and really like that's that's where things like like um evolving from the the ocean to the land happened. It, there was rapid evolution there. Because there there was all these available uh jobs for these uh, different types of uh of uh animals to do. Um, so. Yeah I guess like sorry. Go
4: ahead. Okay. No, Olivia, I Olivia, think one of, uh, the, one of the most fundamental concepts is cladogenesis versus anagenesis. Right? Cladogenesis is where new species evolve by breaking off of existing ones. Right? You get isolation of one population it becomes a new species over time. Right? Cladogenesis is what, 95% of what happens in, the, in, the, in nature. Anagenesis. A-N-A-genesis is where an entire population sort of spontaneously changes to something else. It does happen, right? You, you have, especially in viruses, uh, antigenesis is still very much uh, a case where the next generation is completely different from the previous generation, usually because we have this massive die-off. Right. anagenesis does occur, and that's the kind of changes that they focus on. You know, dogs and wolves look very different from each other. That's a cladogenesis event, meaning that one split off of the other and we, quote unquote, still have wolves. Right. In anagenesis, that is a question to be asked. Right. If uh, a new subtype is dominating uh, someone with uh, HIV infection right they may develop some new subtype that is resistant to drugs or that evades the immune system response in that case we do actually often have anagenesis where generation 2 looks very different from generation 1 without any of generation 1 surviving to become part of generation 2 so that's their concept of evolution and it's not out of the question but it's very uncommon uh, among what we might call larger animals
3: another thing that they focus on, which is again which is possible, but again very rare, is hybridization. You can get a new species by hybridizing two existing species, and that's what creationists typically think of as the evolutionary example they they're always talking about you take a lion and you take a tiger and you get a new species out of it by mixing them together, but that's not evolution i mean Hybridization can produce new species, but it's an extremely rare process. Cladogenesis dominates everything, and cladogenesis is the thing I can't get them to understand, except when I use the example of different breeds of dogs. Only then can they get the concept of how that works. And then they want to create some imaginary boundary where you can't get the whole of all the different dog breeds coming from the whole of all the different wolf breeds or wolf subspecies, if you will, and they want to think that there's some boundary in that, but there's not. It's exactly the same process.
8: Yeah, that was pretty much like my understanding of it as well. Just in comments, when you mentioned, like, anagenic um, evolution, is that, with, with things like antigen shift and antigen drift, being involved in that, is that, is that not the same?
4: Yeah, we, we tend not to think of it, because that's within a single organism, right? So it's it's not Classical biological evolution—it's biological change, but it's not a change in the genotype of the organisms involved. Their DNA fundamentally doesn't change.
5: Okay, oh, wait, okay. wait, wait!
4: Well, you're talking about antigenic shifts in the in the, the virus population or the pathogen? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, that's usually an antigenic change. Okay,
8: Frank. Well, this has been like really helpful for
3: me. I mean, now that's that's applied because of extreme selective pressure that wipes out the entire. Collective, except for a a favored subset, is that right?
4: Exactly. Yeah, it's usually the result of some catastrophic change that simply eliminates. You know, the fitness uh, advantage is so massive.
3: Now, can that also be? Because um, I believe that you've you've got something similar going on with Australopiths and uh, early homoenes because all the australopithecus died out there's nothing left to survive them and it was a very brief period of transition between you get between australopis and homo queens.
4: but the thing is that that the this the reason why came after they split i think right the the reason this fitness uh... difference between the parent and the child generation or, or subspecies um, that event, that cladogenesis occurred, and then one of the lines died off. That's not quite anagenesis, which is you know, 99% of a population dies off. And what, of what remains, um, we have one extreme example. Um, and what, what triggered that thought is punctuated equilibrium. Uh, is quite often to produce an antigenic event where we have let's say 99% of the population dies off you don't get a new species the species essentially remains the same but it looks completely different because we killed off 99% of the population we're left with let's say we have red and blue winged butterflies and the only ones survive had you know double blue wings then that species now has double blue wings and that defines the same species but post-anagenic event, it has a completely different phenotype. Silence.
1: I think on the basis that we may have lost Aaron. No. Um, oh no, you're still here. Uh, yeah, do you want just come back his mind as as ever. We've got one last caller that wants to be squeezed in, so uh, a brief response, Aaron.
3: No, I, I was looking for a, a description of anagenesis that would make sense in human. Um, Human phylogeny, because it looked to me like what you had was uh, several things that the concordance had actually showed me on these defective genes that actually make us. We have all these uh, uh, ancestral primate genes that have gone defective, and that's actually the things that make us the way that we are. That, that enable our brain to uh, to enlarge the way that it did. For example, was a, uh, collection of different defective genes on the amount of musculature that we have in our jaws and indeed on our musculature as a as a whole we have about half the muscle mass of the other great apes so if the australopithecus were in this category where they have half muscle mass, as we do, then you would have a substantial selective pressure against those, the ones that will cohabitate and be, and be mutually supportive of each other, as we were, versus all the others. And so we, I don't see that as a cladogenesis so much because it does seem like it was a shift from the Australopithecus into the Homoenes with nothing left and that it was an isolated population that whole time.
4: And you are mm-hmm. correct, Oren. I'm looking at a paper here in 2006 Journal of Human Evolution, uh Australopithecus aminensis ancestral to Aferensis, a case of anagenesis in the hominin fossil record. Right? And Gordon, so, I am going to I'm going I'm to wrong. stop
1: this self congratulatory uh uh process at the moment partly because I suspect we're losing not only the host of the show uh but also some of the audience. It's a very detailed uh, area which I don't think we have time to go into. Uh, And also, as I say, we have got one one last caller to uh, introduce. Olivia, thank you very much indeed for the call. If we want to expand on that, if you want to expand on that, please uh, call in on a future show. Uh, We'll be glad to to have you on again.
0: Thank you very much indeed.
1: Take care. Uh, We're going to introduce very quickly last caller because, as ever, we are running out of time. In fact, we've overrun, but uh, they always come in uh, towards the end. I'm sorry, I didn't mean any disrespect to the conversation, but it seemed to be going down to, uh, to a level of detail that uh, I suspect a lot of people were going to get lost on. So Let's bring it back down to basics with uh, Sky's the Limit.
7: Hello, everybody. Good evening. Aaron, it's great Hi. to see you back. Absolutely, we miss you all. And, uh, <laughs> and good evening to your beautiful lady wife. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you even online. To get to the point, uh, I don't want to... Um, uh, just going back, if I might, DPR, to that earlier thing about the Mayan thing and the predictions and all the rest of it. Um, I'll I, I, I just put it out as a brief statement, but also as a question, really and truly. Um, um, you, you, you guys discussed it earlier, and all the stuff that was out online about this, um, you know, end of the world stuff and whatever, um, you know, it's just that, and, and there's all kind of bullshit on, on the internet, like, you know, spooking people about, you know, the sun would do this and, and, and its solar flares, which it does every 11 years anyway, about the magnetic, uh, you know, polar reversal, which, which happens anyway, and it, or even to the earth spinning back. And I just think that, if, for example, if you think of Christianity, Europe and the Americas is based largely, of course, on a Christian Judaic tradition, which is, of course, an apocalyptic death cult. Um, religion, if you will. So I'm not surprised. My question to the scientists out there, all three of you or more, (laughs) is that do you think, because NASA got so many emails on this, on the scientific questions about, I mean, again, the uh, the Earth's um, magnetic um, field turning around the Earth, spinning the opposite direction, just because there's been a, a, um, a solar flare every 11 years. how is the Earth going to start spinning backwards? I know, Thunder, but that's that's the kind of stuff that was spread out there. They thought because the reversal of the Earth's magnetic field, the Earth would actually start spinning in the opposite direction. no, 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 no. no. It means that the Earth will turn upside down. <laughs> That. <laughs> My question is no, seriously, do you think that it was a bona fide thing to do or a clever thing to do? Because um, I, it, it's simply because I guess of lobbying. NASA got so many messages. Do you think it gave any credence to this? Or should NASA have actually answered? And they have put out statements on this. Do you think they should have interve- intervened or not? Great I boost. believe
2: it's for teaching science.
7: Yes i know yeah. but they did but they did put out statement guys they did because they just you know i don't know it was alarmist 22 percent of it alone of all the volume of mail they got was in the united states um do, do you think they should have even like gone there at all because it gives it lends a credence of kind of because it's nasa should i i mean i don't have to qualify it's pure science do you think they should have even addressed it at all it's just like urban mythology
3: in Carl Sagan's Cosmos when Sagan went on about the uh, the astrology charts that were written in the newspaper I was wondering why is he going here why does anybody actually need to hear this and he was addressing a significant population that actually believes this stuff I didn't appreciate that at the time so I'm not I don't have any intimate uh, knowledge of what you're talking about here but if 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 uh, NASA is addressing a, a substantial population of people that believe in nonsense woo and they're clarifying that position, yes.
7: I believe in doing that, yes. But, but they did, Aaron, they really did. They actually, I, I mean, I'm not saying official press statements, but they did, it, it, they were overwhelmed. Um, this was building up like since 2008 and they, they, they I, I don't know, I don't know their uh, public relations department, but they felt they had to respond to some of this stuff we were so alarmist. You know, I have seen a, a lot of times science will
3: uh, will not do itself any favors when they don't pay attention to the nutters when the nutters have a substantial voting block. There yeah. there gets to be a time when you have to address that mis- that that misperception. Mm.
4: Yeah, it's well, so true because the the funding is tied to public support. Uh, you know, via Congress and the departments or whatever, and in Europe, of course, there's European Science Councils, but all of that is tied to the public's perception of what goals science is pursuing, and I think that if NASA can put itself, there is no bad press, as they say, Mm. if they can put themselves in front of people, saying look we have the answers here or we have a pretty good sense of it not only is it a good chance to talk about science but it's a good chance to remind people that there's a big group of experts out there that we pay their salaries with our taxes mm-hmm. um... and it's nice to have them there because they seem like they know what's going on and maybe i don't have to uh, dig a, a a bomb uh... shelter in my backyard and start stocking up on ammunition I mean, these are real tangible answers that we can give. This is something Neil deGrasse Tyson is saying on Twitter, basically, that, Mm. you know, I promise. I will tell you when the asteroid or the planet Nibiru or the giant sunspot are all headed for Earth because we'll see it coming. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to spend the money on these science objectives because these are questions that need to be answered. They affect us in the real world. So, yeah, by all means, NASA, address mm-hmm. the things that people actually care about. We're, we're ultimately in a customer driven industry, right? We're producing knowledge that mm-hmm. needs to be known. I, I disagree with a lot of scientists who feel that science should be for its own sake. I disagree. I think there needs to be a goal that people care about.
7: Mm, absolutely. And uh, just on that concordance, and actually, well, actually, DPO, you said it earlier. I mean, when you said, I mean, there have been thousands of predictions. What do you think of my observation, Jeff? I mean, that, as I say, the judeo Christian tradition is, is fundamentally an apocalyptic prediction, the coming of the Messiah and all this are and it's yeah, but don't, worry.
1: don't worry. You can you can sit calm for a thousand <laughs> years or so because when this <laughs> topic came up with Harold Camping eighteen mm-hmm. months ago when he predicted the end of the world on May twenty first, twenty eleven, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, see a video by the uh, erudite and foresightful uh, YouTube user Van and Fang X, and he yeah. assured me that the correct interpretation of the Bible meant that it was going to be one thousand years plus another seven years for this or that uh, mm. before it could actually happen so although we might be living in the days of the rapture the actual rapture wouldn't happen for another millennia so I, I think unless you're worried about your great 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 grandchildren I think you can sit happy for now but, no, seriously, uh, I think it's, of course, it's an entire joke. Will it start happening? Apparently not. There seems to be uh, this mentality amongst uh, the religious, of whatever flavor it doesn't seem to matter, um, that the end of the world is nigh, uh, mm. and it is something to be looked forward to, and they, they um, welcome the fact that it's coming soon, and what, what worries me and would, should worry anyone. Of sound mind is what happens when these fundamentalists uh, gain possession of nuclear weapons and also believe that the end of the world is nigh and they can actually do something that they can to assist the acceleration to the end of world times. Yes, that is deeply disturbing.
7: But what do you think motivates people's DPR on that? I mean, why, why, why is this Because this? I
1: think they are sufficiently indoctrinated to believe that there is something called the afterlife in which the world would be better and it is their duty to accelerate the time when that end of the world actually happens. And but it should it, it be a matter of in, 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 in religious indoctrination and don't tell me otherwise because without religious indoctrination they wouldn't believe in the end times.
3: From hmm. okay, well, my own experience good. I can add that these people a lot of times they, they have a hatred for the life that they live, the bodies that they have, and the world that they're in. They find the real world as it is to be disgusting and intolerable, and they want a different one. And they're wholly willing to destroy this one to get it.
7: It seems to be that. I mean, I, I, I'm I, conflicted on it myself, Aaron. I, I just think it's like... Uh you know, it's like, is is it uh, the the thing of, um, you know, the adrenaline rush when you pass an accident, you know, it's the human thing, or is, is it like that we are so singular, it's that reductionist thing, it's very diminutive, that we, we find our own existence incomprehensible, and so it's like we're, we we live through a kind of a guilt stage, that we don't, like it's too much, it's too lovely, it's too beautiful, it can't be real, I, I must be paying a price for this, there's a payoff somewhere, it's all going to end, or it's like, I really don't know. And I've Let, let me throw
1: one example into the melting pot and see what you think about this. I remember, and I know that Aaron has seen this because he's um, referred to it before, um, on either May the 21st in Times Square or it was on uh, Camping's second prediction, which I think was October the 22nd, I can't remember. Hmm. People gathered in Times Square, um, the majority being those that just knew it was not going to happen. But there were one or two camping supporters, and one in particular was filmed, and he's there literally waiting, counting the seconds down and as the seconds go past the six o'clock hour (laughs) there's this look of complete confusion on his face. There's no no animosity, it's it's just simple confusion. So when you say these people are driven by a desire for the end of times, I'm not so sure, I just genuinely think that this person was sufficiently mentally um, disturbed that he mm. thought it was going to happen, and he couldn't understand why it didn't happen.
3: And mm. he sold everything that he owned.
7: <laughs> I know that yeah. that's, the, that's the guy who paid a hundred thousand dollars, I think, for billboards or something like that. Was it? Yeah, I
1: think it was about wiped dollars It was <laughs> his entire pension fund. He sold arrow camping. And what that's happened? Kind of Afterwards, he's left homeless and moneyless, and Howell camping still in his nice house with another hundred and forty thousand dollars, <laughs> refusing to answer the door because he can't deal with the question of why didn't it happen.
0: Yeah,
5: it's kind of funny too how how these people use and discard science. They'll 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 listen to NASA when they think that 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 some solar maximum is going to destroy, um, a solar storm is going to destroy the Earth exactly on December twentieth. You know. And it, 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 they, or they like I was trying to explain it to my class, they were wanting to know if the world was going to end. And they're listening to me when I say, yes, there are solar storms and the sun is at a solar maximum or whatever. Yeah. But, then, but then they tune me out when I, when I say, uh, when they, they ask me point blunt, I go, they ask me, is, is the world going to end on, on, on December 20th? I go, well, mm-hmm. uh, in science, you can only say something possibly could happen, mm-hmm. but it's well, not very likely. I want to go back
1: to Aaron as well. Sorry, I thought I want to go back to Aaron very quickly. I'm going to try and wrap things up fairly soon, but I know Aaron that you have also commented on this as a way of people avoiding personal responsibility.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Jog on memories. Tell us what your views are.
3: No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I, 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 I got to leave it.
1: Well, if I I,
7: I, I might then, i just wrap up very, very briefly, DPR, um, to respond to what uh, Concordance said, you're absolutely right, uh, Concordance, what NASA actually did in the end, because, as you all know, we have, um, uh, you know, tragedy and emergency services sort of standing by, kind of survival stuff, in order anyway, so for those who kind of didn't believe their scientific explanations like don't panic nothing's going to happen they said refer to your local state whatever because we do have um, tsunamis and storms and earthquakes and we do have stuff in place so that means you know it
2: not work out. St- 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 Katrina did it
7: yeah, exactly. We'll stock up, stock it up with baked beans and fresh water, and th- or and batteries, batteries and water, but obviously not at the same time. <laughs> what I found
1: interesting was that the people who were giving that advice were quite often theists um, as well.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I, I Use practical steps since Katrina was
3: brought up I want to mention that Katrina was a horrible disaster because it happened in New Orleans and New Orleans did not respect science they certainly didn't pay any attention to climate change science we had heard years earlier uh, on a documentary talking about the climate and all of this that was saying that the next time that there was a category four or greater hurricane that would directly hit New Orleans that it was going to sink Mm. so when they brought up the news and they said there's a category four and it's headed straight for New Orleans I brought my son into the room and I told him that news and he says, it's gonna sink. He remembers. He remembers the news story. We knew that it was gonna happen. And we knew in advance that it was yeah. gonna happen. And he had all these people that refused to leave, that refused to do anything about it, and that's why it was a huge tragedy. was one of the reasons why. Mm-hmm. But when when you had this megastorm hit the hit the, the the eastern seaboard more recently, they'd learned the lesson from Katrina. And also we're talking about New York now. They are much more inclined to accept what the science says. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't, even though it was a a storm of of considerably greater magnitude, I think, um, it was better prepared for and they were better, better able to deal with it. So it wasn't quite the loss of human life and tragedy that Katrina
1: was. I'm not mom show, Sky. I, I'm not, I, move I, on. No, I'm you had your last moment. Steve, Once oh, Thank much. you very much indeed <laughs> for the call.
0: Uh, I am going
1: <laughs> to move on because it's 20 minutes after we normally finish and there are a couple of announcements I have to make before we go through the panel. Uh, just in relation to future shows, the next one two weeks' time, we hope to have Seth Andrews, the moving force behind Thinking Atheists, on the show as our special guest. The week after that, which will be the 30th of December, we're hoping to have a Christmas special in which we are seeking to invite back some of the guests that we have had on over the course of the year, which, if you are not familiar with, oh, Lordy, where do we start? Dr. Andy Thompson, um, David uh, Silverman, um, Justin Griffiths, Richard Dawkins, Sean Fairclough, uh, Lona Frank, um, oh, there's more. Uh we're gonna, oh non collector. Uh he's actually the first one who has agreed in principle to appear on our Christmas special. Uh as uh, another one, Potholer fifty four. We'll see if we can get him back. So um, that's something to look forward to. Uh as ever, these uh shows will be posted on YouTube within hopefully the next twenty-four hours. There will also be an MP3 file from which you can download from our website. And we now have, thanks to the Rationalizer from our sister channel, The Gin and Tonic Show, which runs every two weeks on the Saturday, followed by us on the Sunday. Um, The Rationalizer has managed to sort out iTunes for us. I know I've got to update the website to tell you where to find it, but they are now on iTunes. I think the last ten shows or so are on iTunes. So, those are things to look forward to. Um, Thank you to all those who have watched and called in, and to Tony behind the scenes for bringing this to us in all its glory. Final words from Concordance has disappeared. What's happened? It. Oh, yeah, good. he said he had to travel uh,
0: um,
1: Final words then uh... from uh... It's almost like a special guest who you've been away so long. Arn, Arn, and Mrs. <laughs> Arn. All
3: right. I um, uh, no, nothing special to report here. Always fun to do the show. I'm sorry I haven't been able to do it in so long.
5: Um. Thank you for having me on. I I thought maybe I could help out with Arn. You know. <laughs> In case he gets
1: out of control, you know. Aaron's <laughs> getting out of control? Surely, <laughs>
5: never. I'm, just, I'm joking
3: about that. <laughs> she told me before the show she wanted to be here to jab, be able to jab me in the ribs to let me know when I'm talking over people.
5: <laughs> oh,
1: that's my job.
0: Uh, that's
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you in two weeks time, as I say, hopefully with uh, Seth Andrews and then in four weeks time for our Christmas, Christmas special. Uh, bring your Christmas hats and crackers and be uh, ready for some giggles we will see you in two weeks thank you very much again Tony uh, I think we'll end it there take care